right. It's okay. It is Welcome to Night Vale. Well, it's a podcast. <laughs> Can I start that one over? <laughs> no, really, it's a podcast? Shut up. I just realized I just repeated my opening. Oh, what is Welcome to Night Vale? It's a podcast, that thing I talked about already. Where did my glasses go? They just fell not in the right mind to record a podcast right now. Let's try this again. Okay. Serious podcast recording. You'll have so much editing to do. No, this might be the first time I have a blooper reel for my podcast. Okay. What is Welcome to Night Vale? Well, it's a podcast that was started by Why Are You Not Moving? <laughs> my notes wouldn't scroll up. And I was like, it's a podcast, but I can't see what I'm supposed to be looking at. You should create, like, just a separate blooper reel. What is Welcome to Night Vale, and why are we going to be talking about this? Well, for one, it's freaking fantastic. That's where you talk. Oh, yeah, um... (laughs) (laughs) I thought that you were going to keep talking. Oh, my goodness. This is horrible. (laughs) So, let's try that one more time. Well, it's a show that apparently we can't talk about, no matter how hard we try. It's like the dog park. It's like the dog park. You just don't talk about Night Vale. <sighs> God. Okay. Like the dog park. That's a good one. We're going to fly over polar bears and see them and look at them and be with the polar bears. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. Is that why you're calling yourself Greg? That's his name, is it? Yes. Dante! I know. Dinosaurs. On a spaceship. Dude, I'm not sure I could ever love Moose and drag my ass as much as you do, okay? Two True Freaks presents Hope of All Trades. Hosted by Hope Molnax. Talking like a man and fangirling like a lady since 2010. Welcome to Night Vale. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Hope of All Trades. My name is Hope Molinax, I'm the host of this awesome show, and I have a very unique and special and kind of different episode for you. I've never really done something like this before. I'm going to be taking a look at another podcast, which is kind of weird because I've had guests on my show that have their own podcast and like friends and stuff like that, but I've never actually analyzed another podcast. But before we get to that, I'd like to introduce once again from the Iron Man 3 and Thor 2 episodes of my podcast, Miss Angel. Hello. How are you doing, Angel? I'm pretty good. Of course you're doing pretty good. It's your birthday. Woo! Happy birthday to you. It's going to stay forever in this podcast. Happy birthday to you. Now we're going to talk about Welcome to Night Vale. That was the most unique happy birthday song ever. Well, it is Welcome to Night Vale. That's your Night Vale birthday. I wonder if people even celebrate birthdays in Night Vale. You know, I've always wondered how old everybody actually is and how age works in time. Because if they don't have clocks, how do they track birthdays? To quote Carlos, time doesn't exactly exist. Or something like that. Yeah, so like, how do they track birthdays in Night Vale? Mm, magic. Magic. <laughs> no, science. <laughs> There's 
no magic in Night Vale. This is a once but a time. Forgive me. You know what we should do? We should do a drinking game whenever we're talking in this podcast when Avengers or Once Upon a Time comes up. <laughs> I can't escape it. I realized that my last several podcasts I was editing that are not Once Upon a Time podcasts. And yeah. So how about this? We'll play a new game in Hope of All Trades. <laughs> Take a drink every time I say something about Once Upon a Time or we talk about Avengers because Angel is my resident Avengers uh, lover of mine. So what is Welcome to Night Vale? It's a podcast that's quite fantastic. It's gained a lot of popularity recently, especially within the last year. It was created by Joseph Fink and Jeff- Jeffrey Craner, and I couldn't actually find how they created it. Could, did you ever see anything about like what how the ideas came up and stuff? I think that they're all together in a acting community. That's and, usually how they start. <laughs> and I think it was either Joseph Fink or Jeffrey Craner. They were talking with Cecil Baldwin about like this idea, and they were interested in it, and it just kind of came to be. And reading straight from Wikipedia, thank you, Wikipedia. It's published by Commonplace Books. Uh, the podcast airs the 1st and 15th of every month and consists of news, announcements, and advertisements from the desert town called Nightvale, located somewhere in the southwestern United States. In an interview with NPR, Joseph Fink commented on the creation of the series, hey, I should have read Wikipedia first, saying, yeah. <laughs> stating that he came up with this idea of a town in the desert where all conspiracy theories were real, and we could just go from there and with that understood. And actually, one of my favorite descriptions of Nightvale, actually, it was like NPR meets Mothman Prophecies. Hmm, not bad. I know, I was like, wow, good job, whoever said that. And every, also, the big cool part about this is every episode contains a weather report. And the weather report is actually an indie unsigned band. And it can be anything from German rap to, like, pop or kind of like, I have, there's been a lot of Celtic bands and stuff and waiting for the bus in the rain. <laughs> yeah, that, I think, was the one that blew up on Tumblr. Someone cosplayed Waiting for the Bus of the Rain at Dragon Con. Really? How did yes. you do that? They got an umbrella, and they had blue streamers hanging off the umbrella, and under it they wore a sign that said, I'm waiting for the bus in the rain. Nice. It was fantastic. I was just like, whoa, that's The band who created Waiting for the Bus in the Rain got really upset about how popular it became because they made that song as a joke. <laughs> God, God forbid you're popular. God forbid that the ridiculous song that you made, which, come on, it's the internet. What are you bound to be more interested in, the super serious one or the one where it's like waiting for the bus in the rain? That aside, that's one thing I actually really enjoy with Nightville is hearing all the different kinds of bands and a lot of bands from other countries and stuff. So it's really awesome to have this kind of growth of different kind of music that comes into it because to me... The weather reports are kind of a representation of the different kinds of people who listen to Night Vale. But just a few extra notes about Night Vale. The theme in the background instrumental music was created by the music and composer Dispiration. And in July 2013, Welcome to Night Vale became the most downloaded podcast on iTunes. Woo! Oh yeah, it was ranked second on the top 10 audio podcast list right after This American Life. And then in July 2013, it surpassed This American Life to become the first on the podcast left, having received over 150,000 downloads during a single week. And the thing is, is that Welcome to Night Vale had been around for 
quite a while, but it only blew up partially because of, well, the internet. Yeah, the first episode was June 15th, 2012. So it was like around a year, but it took like a few months to actually gain popularity because all of a sudden, like, you could log into Tumblr and there were just posts and post after post about this show and I'm like what is this? I know I remember getting on Tumblr and just being like suddenly I was seeing it everywhere and I was like I don't even know what I'm looking at (laughs) like what is this? And curiosity well you know it killed the cat but you got me into it you you kept bugging me like you have to listen to this awesome show called Night Vale like you have to listen to this I'm like I'll get to it I'll get to it and then I got to it and it was fantastic. That is like the second thing that I've gotten you into. The first was Losers. Oh no, the first was Once Upon a Time. No, then this is like the third thing. Take a drink, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Take a drink. Okay. The entire show is set up like a radio show. Like if if you were just listening to a local radio show. And I I added this to our list, but I first want to talk about the setting. Let's talk about Nightville itself, the town. It's not exactly the most usual town. Yeah, it's it's perfectly normal for a five-headed dragon to run away from tax fraud in this town and to have a dog park you can't look at and hooded fig- figures and angels and, like, disembodied man hands. That's actually a little girl. Hey, we don't talk about the angels. Yeah, or the dog park, said. <laughs> and you don't talk about the dog park either. <laughs> the setting itself, as I mentioned, right. it's supposed to be in the United States Southwest, in the middle of a desert. <laughs> Which is when I knew how awesome the show was, was when they built an aquatic center for boats in the desert. I was like, this show is awesome. Well, I mean, how else are you going to have your boat? I know. It was also um, interesting that they have a museum for forbidden technologies. You're not allowed to read books or something like that. Like, the library is closed. They fear librarians. The librarians are, like, monstrous creatures. The city council a lot of times speaks in unisons. My favorite was recently that the city council was going to go hide in the dirt and breathe through their dirt gills. (laughs) (laughs) I, like, busted up laughing at dirt gills. (laughs) There seems to also be a tiny village underneath a bowling alley. Yeah, by tiny people who live down there. It's like a little, like, warlike people. So that's that's my first big question about the setting. I don't think there's actually anybody who's really a human, except for Carlos. And even then, recently, I'm starting to wonder whether or not Carlos is actually a human. <laughs> because he's started to kind of get used to everything that's going on, and I don't know, he has to be attracted to Nightville somehow. So, so then my next question is, I'm wondering, is... The world that Night Vale is set in, of course it's set in the United States, but I always kind of assume it was like this just random town that happens to be weird in the middle of the United States. But of course they've referenced these like weird countries that don't exist in Europe, and so I'm wondering if, you know, this is an alternate Earth. It could be possible, because I mean, not even like the European countries that don't exist, there's the town that is the rival of Night Vale, Desert Bluff, and it sounds about just as weird in its own way as Night Vale is. And, like, they do make some real-world references, like, in the most, uh, not the most recent episode. Uh, just so you know, when we're, just to give you guys a time reference, we are recording this, and Walk, episode 41, Walk, 
just came out. That's where yeah. we're referencing this. So a couple episodes ago, the Deaf Bowman, they got uh, a submarine from Russia. So they do have these real-world references, but and they, they also have the woman from Italy. So what I'm wondering is, are the real-world references, while we've never actually really seen them, are they from our world? And so, like, the woman from Italy, when she came over, did she come from all our reality into their reality? And they're actually two separate universes. It's fairly possible because it seems like Night Vale is drawing from very much from H.P. Lovecraft sort of themes. Sort of themes. For a while there, I thought they were stories based on H.P. Lovecraft, but then I realized that that wasn't true because at the end of all their episodes, they say also have uncommonplace books, the forgotten stories of H.P. Lovecraft. So for right. like the first like 20 episodes, my brain was like, oh, so these are stories from H.P. Lovecraft. And then I'm like, wait, th- this is not right. So I got corrected. I don't actually know. Joseph Fink also did say in that interview, these are about all the conspiracy theories and sometimes unproven scientific theories like string theory and like other dimensions out there and stuff like that they sometimes deal with alternate universes like there could be like multiple hopes and multiple angels so why angels being you angel not like angels in the show (laughs) (laughs) in case people forgot your name like this could be a possibility so it could be our world and our universe is parallel to theirs and sometimes they cross over like maybe that's where carlos originally came from it's quite possible. I mean, we never know. Do we actually, then we never knew where Carlos came from, do we? We really don't. Like, all we know is that in pilot, he showed up saying that Night Vale, that Night Vale was a place of scientific curiosity, basically, and that he just was coming there to study what was going on. And it should be noted, we don't, we still don't know what kind of scientist Carlos is. He's just a scientist with perfect hair. Imperfect teeth like cemetery roads. He is imperfect. We'll get to that later. <laughs> Such a good episode. Condos was so good. I'm so glad we got it. But yeah, like but it kinda seems like Night Vale itself is a character, like the actual town. And actually actually while we're on condos, probably my favorite description of the town was from Hiram McDaniels. And by the way, spoiler, if you're not caught up caught up on Night Vale, we're gonna be talking about even some of the most recent episodes and stuff including the one they just released, which is Condos, in case you haven't listened to it. so. But he was describing how, you know, he had been traveling and he never found a place he belonged until he came to Night Vale, where it was perfectly okay to be a five-headed dragon. And that kind of tells you something about a town, if it's normal to be a five-headed dragon with each head having its own personality. That's one thing I actually really like about this setting is literally you can be who you want like it's it's the probably the most welcoming town and and when we get to talking about strex corp that's why it's such a threat because we've seen what desert bluffs on that side of the road and so like that's what i really enjoy about night vale you know it's okay to be a grown man's hand but you're actually a little girl or being like a two was it like a two-headed basketball player and they like cut off on the head football player yeah, so like football and, player, and it's okay to be Cecil, who you know is Cecil. Okay, just <laughs> also the thing about Megan, the the girl who was a grown man's hand, he she finally got the rest of the body. Yeah, from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some guy who was in a submarine. Also, um, what's interesting, I put this in the notes, like, farther down, but uh, they're coming out with a book in 2015, and apparently they say that we're going to see parts of Night Vale that the podcast had 
hasn't explored yet. I'm really excited for the book. Like, I need it now. <laughs> Seriously, can we build that time machine that we were talking about and go to 2015? <laughs> yes, but the town itself is, is such a really interesting setting, and, and the fact that they can literally go anywhere with it, I mean, you know, they, they created this town where literally anything can happen, which is really smart on their part. It's also, like, very interesting because you have people who are interested in that sort of fiction. For example, it kind of reminds me of the SCP stuff. I think I've told you about that stuff before, but basically it's a bunch of objects and things that aren't exactly, well, they're kind of paranormal. Now, for people who might not know, because I know what you're talking about, but it's a website, correct? Yeah, it has its own wiki. It's a fictional foundation that someone came up with it, and SCP stands for Secure, Contain, and Protect. And basically, it's a bunch of artifacts that people have made up, but made made it seem like it's real in reports. And these artifacts pose threat to global security, and they're usually extraterrestrial, extra-dimensional, and extra-universal. So it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. You know, I was just thinking, I think probably one of the reasons that Nightville is so popular, you know, aside from, like, the story and the, um... And the canonly homosexual pairing? No, yeah, that too. But, I mean, anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, I think it's because it's this town where, you know, it's so welcoming that anyone could live there. I think, like, we could roll into Night Vale perfectly normal the way we are and stuff like that, and you'd be openly accepted there and always accepted there. And, like, even with people like Tally the Barber, <laughs> you know, like... Tally. Oh, Tally. Even though he, like, goes crazy and stuff like that, it's still, that's normal. So, like, you can do anything and be who you want in Night Vale. And I think that's part of the reason why it's so popular, because it's sort of, like, being in the Night Vale fandom, everyone is welcome and everybody is home. There are problems like any other fandom has. Uh, mostly to do with Cecile, but Cecil, but, Do you, you know. say Cecil or Cecil? Cecil, Cecil, I bounce back and forth. Mostly it's C- uh, Cecil. My favorite is, like, we recently found out Cecil's last name, because it's Cecil Palmer, isn't it? Cecil Gershwin Palmer. Yeah, I still know that there are people who are like, well, fuck that, his name's still Baldwin. (laughs) And I apologize, I'm going to probably say Cecil Baldwin, speaking about the character, not the actor, a few times. It's okay, you kind of get used to it, because we didn't find out what his last name was until cassette. For like a year and a half, everyone's like, oh, it's Cecil Baldwin, okay. So it's going to take me a while to not say Cecil Baldwin and say Cecil Palmer. Speaking of Cecil, we should should start talking about him. Right, he's basically the main character. (laughs) Yeah, he's the narrator for every episode except for Sandstorm B. God, I love Cecil. (laughs) For one, his voice is like velvet, like velvet spiders. <laughs> I could listen to him talk all day. I cannot listen to him at night, like right before bed. And like, this is nothing against like the writing of the actors. It's just his voice is so smooth. Kind of like those like late night, like kind of smooth jazz radio show people that it puts me to sleep. I don't remember what episode it was, but I completely forgot everything that they were talking about because I was just listening to Cecil's voice and I'm like, ah, oh, that's such a lovely voice. <laughs> like, maybe that's what they're doing. They're trying to control us, Angel. Oh, no. Ooh. I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> Let's control our radio. We'll control the audience and slowly take over the world. Yeah. 
He sounds so calm and casual about the really weird things that he talks about. My absolute favorite thing is when he talks about Kushak the cat. Is when he uses that voice, he's just like, and look at those poisonous barbs coming out of our new kitty. Isn't that adorable? I'm just like dying laughing because I'm like, well, for one, he's speaking this adorable little voice. Two, there are poisonous barbs coming out of a cat. I think Cecil Baldwin actually mentioned this in an interview where he likes how he can go from like completely serious to then like talking almost like a valley girl. I like when he impersonates people. That's when you actually really see Cecil Baldwin, the actor, shine a lot is when he can impersonate a wide range of the town. Right. Because being the narrator, like, you know, they do bring in, like, other voice actors to do the other characters, like Dana and, um, The Faceless Old Woman and Hiram McDaniels. But a lot of times, it's just Cecil, re- uh, reading off, you know, quotes from other people. And he is impersonating them. It really shows his range. And on, so that's, I tip my hat to Cecil Baldwin, the actor, for doing that. Actually, Cassette, that was him actually just doing the voice and there was minimal editing. Really? Really? I didn't know that. I thought they brought in another voice actor to be young Cecil. No, it was actually him, and they just did some editing to it. Because I was on YouTube and just randomly watching stuff, and someone had actually interviewed Cecil Baldwin via Skype, and he actually talked about that. It was really cool. I'm like, oh my goodness. That's really cool. I did not know that. Yeah. Let's talk about Cecil's personalities, because he can swing back and forth a lot. Oh, the first thing that I do want to mention before we do that is... Hey, go right ahead. I just realized that Cecil is an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Because all we know is what he tells us. And how else... Like, we don't know anything else, so he might be an unreliable narrator. Watch this end up being something along the lines of, like, this is the dream of some man in a coma. It's like Cecil Palmer is in a coma, and he's imagining Night Vale, and that's, like, the last episode. I think someone came up with a theory that everything is actually kind of normal and Cecil just made this up and people are just playing along with it. Oh, I kind of like that. Either way, so let's just talk about his personality now. Oh, what is that show? I think it's called Axe Cop. And it's it's on either Fox or like Adult Swim or something now. But it was originally a comic book that was created by a five-year-old. The the comic artist got his son to create the storyline and the characters. And he pretty much wrote down whatever the fuck his son wanted to say. And so it has like X-Cop and his sidekick is a dinosaur. (laughs) It reminds me of that. What if that's like the last episode? This is actually the brain of some kid and this is the world he's created. And maybe it's being created in an alternate reality because he's imagining it. We did in condos kill a person with our brains. That is true. What a wonderful collective thing that we did. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Going back to Cecil and all this. You know, Cecil being an unreliable narrator, we really don't know how true the events of Night Vale are. Like, I mean, we do have the faceless old woman and Hiram McDaniel saying things, but again... Is any of it real? Or are they just playing along? Like, you know how parents do when a child is telling, like, this imaginary story. It's slightly different because Cecil, I don't know, though. Cassette kind of backs that up because he doesn't remember any of doing any of his cassettes or his mother or his brother. He There's a, definitely a gap in his memory of his early life. 
basically the only thing that he remembers, I think, is that he interned at the radio station. And he remembered being in the Boy Scouts with his best friend. Also, remember the point where he says that he had to report for re-education? <gasps> I've read that. How many times has he been re-educated? I don't know. That's kind of scary. It really is. Yeah. Oh, what if... Ooh, what if Strexcorp is actually secretly behind the re-education? Hmm. Hmm. That's possible. We could bring that back up in the future series. So Cecil! <laughs> Cecil! I think we kind of been talking about Cecil. But for one, I just, I really enjoy his storytelling. You know, he has a... That, that's what that's another thing I love about Night Vale. It has very colorful language. And being a radio show, you have to have colorful language. You have to describe what you're seeing. You have to talk about the people and what they look like. And even, but we we even don't even really know what Cecil looks like. So we kind of, and that's that's one thing I really love, and that the fandom just kind of run away runs away with is we have no description of Cecil other than he had a smile and a tie. Right, and that he's not exactly tall, but not exactly short. Basically, all we know is that he looks like Kevin, and we don't know what Kevin looks like. Except <laughs> Kevin looks like Cecil, but he has black eyes. Right, that's all we know. I, I hope we never get a description of Cecil, because for one, it would just ruin the fandom. One of the best parts is was going to Dragon Con, and you had, like, you know, 20 different people cosplaying Cecil, and none of them looked alike. And that's what made it fun, because since they've never really described what these characters actually look like, I mean, we know Carlos is a person of color. What, is it confirmed that he's Hispanic, or do we just assume that he's Hispanic? I think we just assume that he's Hispanic because of his name, which is kind of stereotypical, but... Actually, I have Carlos pulled up in my Night Vale wiki. Let me take a look at it. Um, but we know he's confirmed being a person of color, so we just, I guess... Right, especially with the new casting. We just know that he is uh, Latino. It's and all... that he has dark hair, but it has some premature gray in it. And that he has teeth as straight as a military graveyard. You raise a good point. We know that he is Latino and is confirmed because of the new casting. Do you want to talk about that? Because you actually told me about that. Carlos just recently got a new voice actor. He was originally voiced by Jeffrey Craner. I didn't know that. Yes, he was. But Jeffrey Craner did not feel comfortable with voicing a gay or bisexual, at least, person of color when he is, in fact, you know, white. They decided, especially with the popularity of Welcome to Night Vale and doing live shows, they cast an actor known as Dylan Marin to play Carlos, and he finally showed up in condos. Wasn't it on Jeffrey, Jeffrey Craner's Tumblr that he was also saying that, you know, he's not an actor, so that was one thing that he's not really comfortable with, that he's a writer and he just wanted to focus on writing and they just needed someone for that one role. Right, there was also that reason too. Basically, why would he voice Carlos when he could give an actor a job to portray this character? Which is actually kind of a nice reasoning behind the voice change. <laughs> but we were talking about Cecil. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Craner, I completely understand. I'm a writer too, and I tried acting and it was terrible, so I completely understand. <laughs> so This kind of proves a point about Cecil, though, is... He's such a deep, complex character that he's really hard to analyze. Like, I think we could have an entire podcast of just Cecil. Because, you know, right. he's in ev he's the narrator of every episode but one. That's true. You were mentioning about his personality, and there are multiple facets 
about it. He can go from like deeply serious to the most bubbly person you can meet, usually when talking about Carlos. But like he really can change like in an instant. Actually, how about this? This is a good way to talk about Cecil. Let's talk about Cecil at the start of the show and then how he's changed over time. Because a lot of big things have changed in his life. You know, there's the introduction of Strex Corp. There's the introduction of Carlos and them actually dating like a year later. Because I think the, when I say the weakest part, I mean just like story-wise. Right around the few episodes right, right before one year later, Nightville got a little slow for me and I had trouble getting through that section. And that was only because Cecil was very stagnant. There wasn't really a lot happening. But recently, I feel like the pace has really picked up on Night Vale because not only do we have Carlos, we also have Strex Corp. And the, there's the mayor, the mayoral. I'm going to have to say that word like five times. Mayoral? Mayoral. I can't, I can't say R sounds, like R and O sounds together. Like saying our, our is really funny. <laughs> so I'm just going to tell you now, listeners, I cannot say mayoral. It's May- okay. May- yeah. Anyway, with the in- introduction of all these things, his character's kind of changing a bit, and I've I've noticed kind of a change of how he's starting to do stuff, and it's it's showing Cecil's growth. So let's let's talk about that. That might be a good way to kind of tackle Cecil's character because he is so deep and complex. That's a good idea. It kind of seems yeah, especially after Strex Corp has been introduced, like even more introduced, and he met Carlos. He seems a bit more maybe outgoing. Not exactly outgoing, but he he takes different perspectives. Maybe I don't know. It's hard to describe. Right around the sandstorm episodes is when I really started seeing a change from about episode fifteen, which is street cleaning day. As much as I do love that episode, to eighteen, the traveler. Those like three or four episodes were just really slow for me. I, I really don't remember too much about them. Except for we do get Cecil's phone call about the man in the tan jacket. During that time, after the sandstorm, we're getting the introduction of Strux Corp. And, uh, you know, I feel that it's a, it's, a, it's also a change in storytelling. You know, Cecil can see all day, like, oh, I love Night Vale. It's the best town. But we're actually seeing him love his town. Like, he, we see the little ways he's trying to stand up to Strux Corp. And like, we see... You- the- Like, you see the panic going on in different situations and the worry and the fear of what might not just happen to him and Carlos, but the town. And also some confusion. Well, how do you mean confusion? For example, like, when Lauren comes to visit and asks about Carlos, and he's just like, uh, yeah? The whole time I was just like, Cecil, shut up. (laughs) Just shut up. Shut your mouth. Because that's another thing. Cecil tends to be naive, too. Right. He kind of is. He seems a bit trusting, which is weird. Not a good thing right now. <laughs> like, he trusts his first station management, where it's, like, this, like, hideous monster that, like, lives behind the door who's, like, coming after him. He's very trusting, and I am I think it's gonna... And we'll talk about this in theory soon, but I think it's gonna come up again. But I also just... I think there's a lot of changes. I, I feel like Cecil's world open. Like, before the Sandstorm and, and Carlos and Strux Corp, it felt like Cecil was really close. Like, he could talk about John Peters, you know, the farmer. And um, he could talk about, you know, old Lady Josie. But it almost felt like he was talking about these pe- people and he didn't have really a relationship for them. But after around this, all these introductions, I feel like he's having more relationships, you know. we He talked about how he used to go bowling with old Lady Josie. And they used That's to the thing that changed about him. We find out more about his personal life. Yeah, and it wasn't just him talking about this town. Like, he, we're, he's opening up as a character to these people. 
Like we now know that he has a Facebook, probably with a bunch of cat videos. Yeah. And he has general concern over Dana. He does. Like, Dana is probably one of the best interns that he had, but also probably one of his best friends. I feel out of all the interns that poor interns, they, they lose like one a week. Oh my God. I know. I, I feel... do have to say, I miss them doing that in the notes, like in the closing notes, where they're like, and we lost this intern this week. And we have, so like when they ever do they, the proverbs at the end, I'm like, I miss them I doing the, how, what real life intern Oof. they lost. <laughs> now I'm scared because I have an intern shirt. <laughs> Intern Angel. <laughs> she was lost from putting on her shirt and it smothered her. <laughs> but like, I, I feel, I'm really enjoying that because we're actually seeing these relationships in his life. Like, even like with the Apache tracker. I mean, we saw him change his mind, you know, because he was so against the Apache tracker and calling him a racist. But we see him change his opinion. And to that moment, they're really humanized, Cecil. Because that, that's the thing. Earlier in these episodes, it's really hard to humanize Cecil because they're in this weird town. We don't even really know if anyone's really, truly a human. Right. We, we know they have these emotions and these lives and this, like, weird stuff happening. But when they started really humanizing these characters and, like, giving them love interests and relationships and friendships, you know, it did. It, Cecil wasn't just a voice talking to us. He became a person. Seriously, one of my favorite parts in Lazy Day, and it's not just because of the Cecilio thing, but because of how it, with just how Cecil was talking when he said that he was just going to go home and maybe have a nice nap. Like, you know what's going to happen, but he's (laughs) (laughs) he just sounds so happy and that he actually has a life outside of the radio and that, as I said, that he's genuinely happy and that he relaxes and does very human things. It seems like his listeners are becoming progressively over time, like, more and more happier for him. Like, because he even says in a few episodes, like, I know you guys have been asking me about, like, my date and stuff like that. They're humanizing this town to care about Cecil, and in a way, you're making your podcast audience care about these characters, too. And the thing that's also changed, like, regarding his relationship is that now he's not telling everyone everything about it. When Carlos was first introduced, it was every single little tidbit about what had happened. Like, he basically narrated his first date for us. I kind of wish we had more of this. I miss it. as we progress, he just kind of hints at certain things. Like, for well, Carlos example, did specifically ask him not to tell him every little thing. Right, but he did agree, Cause... I can, because I can almost promise you there'd be a time where Cecil would come to work and just be like, guys, I just had sex for the first time. It was fantastic. Let me tell you all about Carlos's penis size. And Carlos would just be like, on the other end of the radio, going, like, oh god, Cecil, no. No, Cecil, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. We find out that Carlos has a blanket kink or something. Oh my gosh. Oh my god, this blanket. Cecil did sound very touched when he found out that Carlos listened to the show every time that Cecil was on. My God, I, I like died. I was just like, when we heard the audience in the background of condos going, aww, I was in my car going, aww. I was going, aww, when I was listening to it before we even started this podcast. I've really been enjoying seeing the progression of Cecil, and I hope they keep pushing him forward, because being the main character in 99.9% of all the episodes, I mean, you're going to have to keep developing his character, or else you're going to hit that kind of snag that we had in the middle episodes where it's just kind of slow. Right. Speaking of perfect Carlos. (laughs) Carlos the scientist. 
Carlos the Scientist, yes. Now that they have an actual voice actor, I'm really hoping somehow we're going to get to see more Carlos. And I'm saying that from a story point of view, only because we really don't know much about Carlos. He's kind of like just an extension of Cecil. We really don't know anything mm-hmm. about his background. We don't know where he's from. We don't know. We know that he likes to be productive when everybody's being lazy. He loves being a scientist. And my personal take is he's learned to love the town or he would have probably left by now because he came originally to study the town and to be into science and like because it was like the best science experiment ever. Right. But, you know, we see that he has kind of stayed and he's grown to love the town and he enjoys having a home there. And he's, he's got- actually become afraid for the town. During the Orange Grove, he was just like, we, we don't need to do this. This is a bad idea. So right now, it's me. Carlos is kind of an extension of Cecil. So I kind of would love to see some Carlos character development on his own, or at least find out more about him. Basically, he has become a bit more prominent since one year later, possibly because he has started to date Cecil. But like as a character himself, in Dana, he was investigating the house that doesn't actually exist. As you said, in Orange Grove, he actually, like, stood up against this, and he stopped, like, basically the whole Orange Grove thing. The one thing that interested me, though, is that it seemed the Lazy Day affected everyone but Carlos. Do you think the Lazy Day was, like, something that was put on by the government? Of course it was put on by the government. Everything's put on by the government. serious world government. He seems to be following me on Tumblr. (laughs) What? Yeah, the mysterious world government is following me on Tumblr. Oh, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it makes me wonder, is it because Carlos isn't from there? That's true. Maybe he's not affected by a lot of the things in Night Vale. I kind of think, like, what Carlos has over everybody else's logic. <laughs> Probably. So, which sounds mean, but I mean, like... He has a different way of thinking being from the outside. Like, being an outsider, he, he has a completely way, different way of looking at this town. Let's basically and, just put it this way. He has a scientific view of this place. I don't think a lot of things affect him because he just doesn't think like everybody else. So he has come to accept that this town will never be normal. Kind of like with the whole replacing his local I replaced my own vocal cord, because with what? Oh, I just did it myself. You know, I didn't get surgery. I'm with science. Oh, oh yeah. To, you know, throat spiders. Good job for the explanation. And good job with showing that Carlos has come to embrace the weirdness that is Night Vale. But we, I guess we have kind of seen a change in Carlos, too, though. Because when he first came to the town, he was, like, solely focused on work. And he didn't even, like, really talk much to Cecil. He only talked to Cecil when he came to, like, scientist stuff. He kind of seemed weirded out by Cecil. He was like, oh, it's that weird guy who constantly talks about me on the radio and how perfect I am. I actually didn't like Carlos in the beginning because I, I thought he was kind of a jerk. <laughs> you did? I did! <laughs> Just like, you know, he would just like blatantly ignore Cecil. And it, because even if he would just like had said something to Cecil, like, you know, I, I'm not cool with you talking like this about me and everything. But I was just like, God, he's not even talking to Cecil. What a jerk. It's like Steve Carlsberg is better than Carlos. Like, <laughs> and he is a jerk. Steve no. Carlsberg. Oh, Steve Carlsberg. Like, no one likes him. <laughs> yeah. Except 
Except for Kevin. Oh my god. That's right. That was my first time that there was something really wrong with Kevin. <laughs> we'll talk about the sandstorm <laughs> and Kevin in a minute. But I, like, through this whole episode, like, I'm just, like, really weirded out at how, like, nor- kind of normal that Deverser Bluffs was and how happy it was. And then he was just like, oh, Steve Carlsberg, what a great guy. And that was my first time I went, oh, there's something really wrong with this town. <laughs> You know, but we have seen Carlos change. I think, like, while he's still very work-focused, kind of like how Cecil's opened up his world, he opened up his world to Cecil. We have started getting more Carlos character development, but I guess I just, like, want to find out, like, stuff about him. Like, I want to find out about his past and, like, his family. Right, like, exactly where does he come from? Someone, I think I read this fanfiction or something where Carlos is actually originally from Desert Bluff. Oh, no. What if that's, like, the big thing where Strex Corp sent Carlos and the scientists, and that's when they started slowly infiltrating? Oh, no, but Carlos became attached to Night Vale, and he's like, no, I don't feel right about this anymore. But wouldn't that be crazy? Like, what a plot was, like, like the la- like maybe they have, like, a three-hour-long, like, last final episode, and you find out the entire time that Carlos is from Desert Bluffs, and, like, Cecil has to stop his love. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know. cry. Don't do that, guys. <laughs> I would cry the whole episode. I don't know. I just, I kind of more like the theory that he's from some other place. There's also the theory that he's actually Carlos from Magic School Bus. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> That's my favorite theory on Carlos, is he's really from the Magic School Bus. And that, um... It would make so much sense. And that he went to visit his old teacher's um, hometown. Oh my god. Like, I, you don't understand how much I really love that theory. Because it no. cracks up every time. I seriously love that theory so much. That's the final episode. The last episode, the bus drives up and Miss Frizzle gets out. And it's going to be like Jeffrey Kramer and uh, Joseph Bing trying to do their best Miss Frizzle impressions. Oh my goodness. That'd be fantastic. But, you know, that's actually a really good point. I would love to find out more about the outside world, because, like, this goes back to Cecil being an unreliable narrator. Pretty much everything we know about the outside world is what he tells us. Like, I would love to hear it from the point of view of someone else. And we kind of gotten that some. With Hiram McDaniels, he said he's come from somewhere else, and Nightville wasn't originally his home. But we don't even really know where he came from. We know that there's these people that do live on the edge, like Steve Carlsberg, and John Peters, you know the farmer. Yeah. And, and like, so these kind of people kind of live in this, like, outside edges of town. And then uh, there's Dana, who seems to be on a completely different level of plane of existence. Actually, what is your take on the episode The Woman from Italy? Because I'm still trying to kind of grasp hmm. that one. I had no idea what to think with that episode. That episode actually creeped me out several times. For one, whenever the other person started speaking, like, I know it was Cecil Baldwin doing the voice, but do we take that as something controlling Cecil or something breaking into his podcast? I kind of imagined it as the same thing as the glow cloud thing. Explain. Remember when the glow cloud first showed up and Cecil all of a sudden was like, all hail the glow cloud. Oh, okay. And then completely forgot about that? Basically, the woman from Italy, all of a sudden, he would start on, like, this really creepy tangent about this woman from Italy and what she was going to do. And then he kind of forgot that he was talking about that, so it just reminded me of it. Gotcha. I don't know what to think about that episode either. Like, I've been kind of seeing it as a 
few different things. Like, I kind of had the same idea, like, it was something controlling Cecil. But that happens a lot. <laughs> but this time, it just felt different. It didn't feel like the glow cloud. Because I like the glow cloud almost felt like it came from Night Vale. And Italy being such, like, you know, it's one of our places. It's from our world, and it's it's normal. It, it seems off. Yeah, it's it was a very different kind of... It wasn't, it wasn't like the glow cloud. It was very different. Because I'm it, looking at the transcript here, and he's, like, talking about, um... And he's talking in rhyme. We've I don't think we've ever heard Cecil talk in rhyme. It's really creepy, but looking at, like, the transcript right here, uh, first he, like, mentions that she ordered a second coffee, and then, and then it breaks off into that rhyming thing where it's a very ominous tone, and then it goes back and ate the last of her eggs. Nothing more to report on the woman at this time. I don't even know why I reported what I just did. I don't know what to make of that episode. My God, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. I sound like such an idiot right now. Ooh, no, sorry, it's that was fine. That, I think that's one of the interesting things about Night Vale is that you have to think deeply about it, and it makes you question certain things. And that's it, one of my favorite things about Night Vale. Yeah, <laughs> it is not your average show. These gentlemen are so smart. Like, I'm kind of wondering about how all these points are going to start connecting together in the kind of the end game, like when Nightville's starting to get to that point. Because then you know, eventually it's going to end. You know, they can't do it forever. It seems like a really good, almost paranormal suspense sort of thing, like where they present all of these different plot points and you're trying like any other suspense or mystery film trying to connect the dots before the film wraps it all up because you want to be the first to figure out what's going on but the thing is Nightville is so weird and so out there and so abstract and and bizarre that it's really hard to do like when they introduced the man with a tan jacket i thought that was gonna be a huge thing it's gonna be this big ginormous like plot point he's gonna be like the man in the tan jacket like really the bad guy and we really haven't heard much from him lately. And every once in a while, they'll make a reference to it. I'm like, oh, the man in the tan jacket! And then they won't touch it again. And what I'm if he's waiting... working against Strex Corp? Yeah, like, I'm starting to think that, too. I, I think that, and, like, these little things are starting to connect. Like, the, I just Strex Corp itself, when it was brought up in Sandstorm, like, I didn't even really think about it, you know? I was like, oh, Strex Corp is this town in this other world. And then when they started invading Nightfell, I was just like, Strex Corp. Oh, Strex Corp. <gasps> They're turning into Desert Bluffs. <laughs> so, like, it's just, like, little things that they'll bring up, like, sometimes five, ten episodes later. And when you're doing five, ten episodes later, that's months later, you know, because they only release it twice a month. So, I mean, like, it's it could be at least another half a year before we even know what's going on with stuff that happened six months ago. I know. Ah, so much to that's think about. I know, and, and there there really is. They they they're constantly laying down mythos upon mythos, like layers of it, like like a sub sandwich of mythos. <laughs> that was a really bad analogy. <laughs> what I really think would be an interesting episode, especially like if you tie it together, like with the Strux Corp sort of thing, and like the unreliable unreliable narrator thing, is what if something. I really hope something doesn't happen to Cecil, but if it does, like, maybe Carlos could come over and take over for the radio show and be talking about, like, all these weird findings that his research has brought up and that there's something really wrong with Strex Corp. And... That would actually be interesting because, you know, they're always dropping these things that would seem so random. Like, there's just, like, random things that anyone can blow up because there's always a point in the episode where I kind of, like, 
this sounds so bad, like where I kind of, they'll say something and it'll make me think about something. So I'll miss other parts of the episode. Right. And I always have to go back and re-listen to them because like they'll get me thinking on one thing. But that'd be interesting for him to like start reading off some of his facts. And it's stuff that, that it's like the random point little thing in like episode four that no one's thought about for two years. Right. That'd be actually a really cool thing. I'm hoping if Strex Corp takes over. And so I hope they do what they do again in Missing, where if Cecil has to go and do pirate radio again, you know, he'll be able to actually talk about real things that are happening. Because right now we know that Strex Corp is highly censoring him. Right. As much as I do love hearing Cecil, I wouldn't mind seeing some of the format change because there's a reason that I really love Sandstorm. And we'll get to that, so... Yeah, I would, I would love to see more of the outside world and what's... I, well, oh, we were talking about the woman from Italy. I, the reason I want to see more of the outside world because I would love to get more definition in this world. And when I say definition, I just kind of want more just like, you know, a little bit more about how the world works. So two requests to um, Jeffrey Craner and Joseph Fink. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, I'm still trying to wrap my head about like whether... But at the same time, it's fun because like now we've been talking about an hour and a half and we're not even past like the first two characters so i, I mean, know you're doing their job but that's like the thing about night vale is that you talk about one thing and then it goes on to this kind of related tangent that is still relevant to the show i just want to throw out because i was thinking about carlos and i was just like oh and they're dating and like oh cecil's furry pants on his date <laughs> oh, don't forget his uh, tunic shirt Someone totally cosplayed Date Night Cecil at Dragon Con, furry pants and all. Oh my goodness. And then the fact that Carlos was still wearing a lab jacket, lab coat, on his date. <laughs> what? It was some recent episode, it was like one of the last two or three, where he, like, Carlos was wearing, like, a casual lab jacket. <laughs> oh yeah. I was just like, what's a casual lab jacket? <laughs> like, what does that even look like? Does it have, like, you know, like a fun patch on it? Like, what is a casual lab jacket? Uh, probably one that's not so fancy. <laughs> not so fancy. Wow, you sound like you're from the South, mate. Fancy. Yeah, I don't have really anything much on Carlos other than I would love to just learn more about him. Right, and again, as we said, maybe with Dylan actually being cast, we can get more of Carlos. <laughs> what if there's like a popular request episode and Cecil's like, by popular request of you guys asking, here's Carlos. And he like brings Carlos on his show and Carlos is like, I really don't want to do this, Cecil. And he's like, uh uh-uh, uh, the listeners asked for it. Bring like, your boyfriend to work day. Like, I have work to do. You can do your work here, Carlos. It's bring your boyfriend to work day. That's not a real holiday. Yo, huh, the city council just stood in a blood circle and got it approved. <laughs> okay, Cecil. Okay. Uh. <laughs> but I would just like to see Cecil start talking about stuff and Carlos just being like, shut up. You can't talk about that. It's private. Cecil, what have we said? Private time is not airtime. Exactly. Uh. <laughs> That's my kind of thing. Private time is not airtime. <laughs> so I kind of put these two next in our little kind of character docs things. And only just because they've been there from the beginning, sort of. Right. And because they're so. Okay, that was the thing. When I was making this outline about, like, what characters to talk about is a lot of characters were really prominent in the beginning of the show, but they're not really as prominent now. Like, we don't really have old Lady Josie anymore. We don't really have Telly the Barber. We don't really have... I haven't, we haven't really heard much from Steve Carlsberg, either. Have we heard from Steve since the Sandstorm? I don't think so. <gasps> what if he was lost in the Sandstorm? Yes! We know that he can. he's between Desert Bluffs and Night Vale. That is true. 
But so I, I was trying to think of when I was making this list, like characters that have constantly been here kind of from the beginning that are still prominent. So while I there are tons of honorable mentions that we could mention and bring up, and like I could not remember the the current mayor's name worth the life of me. Oh God, it's Pamela Winshaw. Yeah, Pamela. Winshaw. Yeah, that just popped in my brain. But even then, like she didn't seem prominent enough to really mention because she doesn't. I don't feel like she's really doing much in the current stories while these other characters really are helping to push the stories. That's that's why I chose these characters that I chose. But Angel, you can throw in any others that you feel are just as important. The thing about Pamela Winter, like what you mentioned, is I don't think that she's going to be prominent much anymore because of the upcoming election. Yeah, like I, I enjoy Pamela because I love just when Cecil was just like, she gave this really important speech. She said this and this. And then she like looked up in the sun and flew away in a burst of like glitter. Like, you know, like the most random stuff like comes out whenever he talks about Pamela. But I mean, like, I that's right. Like, I agree. I don't think she's going to be prominent much. Right, and I think the main reason why Cecil and Carlos are the most prominent is not just because of their relationships, but as you said, they've been around the longest, and we focus more on them than anyone else. When we talk about these characters that I did choose, that's why I chose these ones. So I wanted to talk about kind of separately and kind of together, but I kind of put them together in the list at least because they're both in the same place right now. Right. So... First, let's talk about Dana, and then we'll talk about John Peters. You know, the farmer. farmer. (laughs) I'm going to let you say these ones. You have to say John Peters. You know, the farmer. There you go. I keep cutting you off on those. It's okay. So I wanted to talk about Dana first, because I, I, right now, she really does feel like Cecil's only real current friend. Well, I mean, she seems to have access to his Facebook. And well, well, she has access to everything, though, because, like, somehow she keeps breaking into his radio broadcasts. Right, that's true. <laughs> though I love every time, like, he tries to call her, like, his phone just, like, melts down and, like, throws up error warnings. <laughs> How many phones has Cecil gone through? Oh, my God, I don't know. Sorry, honey, I tried to call you back, but I tried to call Dana first, and my phone melted. <laughs> Pretty Yeah, I mean, somehow Dana is... Keeping in contact with Cecil. She's actually one of my favorite interns. She's one of my favorite characters. She really is. I actually kind of want to cosplay her. I have to say, I kind of like Dina more than I like Carlos. Oh my god, I sound like I'm bashing on Carlos so much. I really love Carlos, I promise. I really, really do. But I, I feel like there's much more of a connection, because even then, like, we're constantly told about Carlos, but Dana has been in the show more. She really has, because I think she's the longest surviving intern. She is. I kind of want to find out more about her life in the dog park, too. I'm really interested in that. Because wasn't Pamela Winchell also in the dog park for a while? Oh, I don't remember. That was a really long time ago since yeah. I listened to that episode. I think she was. Dana is the longest surviving intern as of right now. Does he even, does he still even have any other interns? Uh, I think she, I think he had a one, like he mentioned one in one of the most recent episodes. Okay. Oh, yeah, he did. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I don't remember the person's name because they change every week. <laughs> but the thing is, Dana, she seems to be getting to the bottom of some of these things. Like now that she's on a new plane of existence. Maybe she can see everything from a different point of view. Like I'm, I, I know I mentioned this later on and it's going to come up in our theories. But I, I kind of think Dana being this other world with the mountain and the lighthouse and stuff like that. I think she's really going to be playing back into the end game. But I'm actually really worried about Dana. I'm like, I'm like waiting for her to come home. 
I know. Uh, Her and John Peters. I'm really worried about John Peters, you know, the farmer. I'm really worried about him, too. I'm, I'm hoping that either of them get home somehow. Though I kind of, when it was John Peters, you know, the farmer who went into the other plane, I kind of took that as him dying. He was stepping into a plane of death. So that's why I was so surprised when, when, Pe- when Dana went in there, because I, I thought they were kind of showing what death was like in Nightville, because I always kind of assumed that he was an older character, because they would never mention his wife, so I kind of assumed that he didn't have a wife anymore, and that she had passed away. So, like, in his house, when you could look in and you could see him just sitting there, I, I kind of felt like that's what death looked like in Night Vale. Well, you know that the house that he's in is the house that doesn't exist. Like, it looks like it exists. So maybe that's what, like, that. I always kind of took it that way, too. Like, when he stopped existing and he died, all his, like, his, everything he owned stopped existing. And that's how Strexcorp was able to grow oranges from his area and pretend to be him because they just stole his identity because the guy was dead. See, I'm wondering about that now. Like, how did they steal his identity? Like, did they make a clone of him? Did they make someone look like him? I mean, well, Cecil recognized right away it wasn't the real John Peters. So, I mean, I think they they tried it, but they failed terribly because oh. everybody knows what John looks like. What if it's the double from um, Desert Bluff? <gasps> That's a really good idea. <laughs> because, oh my god, it could be. Because, like, I mean, everyone seems to have a double in Desert Bluff. We don't know if John Peters killed his double. That is a very good point. I know Kevin was mentioning someone who was, like, playing in the sand and with their doubles and everything. And maybe that was John Peters' double. Because when did, when did we lose John Peters? Like, what episode was that? It was Blinking Light on the Mountain, wasn't it? Hold on. During the events of Street Cleaning Day, John Peters calls in to report his discovery of an unspeakably old oak door standing out in the scrublands. After describing and investigating the door, John vows to keep a sleepless vigil outside the door. He also reports that he is expecting a bumper crop of imaginary corn. And then an intern, Dana, reports from beyond the oak door that John has been standing inside the empty house, staring at a picture of a window with a look of sadness, no, of concern on his face. And then in- so really as far back as street cleaning day that they introduced that concept of this oak door in this other world to us. Yeah. Oh my god, that goes back to what we were saying about how like things <laughs> that are random to like a year ago is now coming back. And then in intern Dana, he was in the house that didn't exist. And then as a blinking light up on the mountain, Cecil is the one who reported that they haven't really heard of from him in a while. Okay. So, I don't know, like, maybe. I always just took it as that was him dying. So, like, when Dana went through, I was just like, did Dana just die? What just happened? <laughs> but she got through there through the dog park, right? Oh, it's been a while since I've listened to that episode. I only listened to that episode once. But if she got there through the dog park... Oh, Dana finally finds a way out of the dark dog park through a mysterious door. Through Going through the door takes Dana into a strange house. Oh yeah, and she was in the basement and she heard him. Right, so are there mysterious doors everywhere in Night Vale that lead to this weird house? 
maybe that's what death is. Like maybe like this house and that other plane is the afterlife. So when it's your time, you go to the stores so you can rejoin others. Or maybe Shrek Corp is behind this house that doesn't exist and is using. Maybe it. we're gonna blame everything we don't understand on Shrek's corp. <laughs> Koshek floats. I don't understand. It's Shrek's corp. <laughs> no. Koshik probably floats because there's some something really weird in that part of gravity right there. Sorry, some, something sciencey. Something sciencey, yes. But everything else that seems to have a plot point that you can't really explain right now. We, we don't understand the woman from Italy's Strexcorp. Now, I will say I do think Strexcorp is the big bad of the show, but... I don't know, it probably is. But anyway, like, uh, sorry, back to John Peters and Dana. See, and this kind of goes back to the Carlos conversation, because they, they actually made me care about John. Like, before, I didn't really, he was just, you know, the farmer, as we keep saying. But, I mean, they actually kind of made me care that we've lost somebody, and I'm, I'm really hoping he gets back, because I want to hear his side of what happened and what he was looking at. But kind of going back to Dana, like, she she had some of my favorite lines recently when she was talking about how... She missed her mother and her brother and her grandfather, and she remembers her grandfather telling these, like, amazing, colorful stories to them. Right. We, but, we realize that they're actual people, not just, you know, characters that Cecil talks about. And But, like, she said probably my more recent favorite lines when she was saying, you know, I miss this table that we used to sit out more than I miss my family. Because this table wasn't just memories of just one person. It was all of our memories. I got that line. I I was just blown away. It was a beautiful line. I, I just, ugh, ugh, this podcast is so good. It really is. Bravo to Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Cleaner for creating this. I mean, honestly, so. I hope they get so much work after this. Like, I hope they get so many amazing, like, gigs out there. I hope they become incredibly successful. I mean, it has to be successful if you're getting a book. And to, like, have live shows and them selling out within days of announcing it. I'm looking at, like, the list of episodes right now. Like, Mm -hmm. and they have, like, a bunch of live shows coming up, which, you know, which just means more revenue for them. Because they'll probably be selling merchandise at the live shows. And gaining popular. Oh, and the store. Oh, yeah, the store. These guys are making a killing. One of the placeholder titles is called Thrilling Adventure Hour Team-Up. What is that? It's apparently a live show that's on the 29th of March. Really? Yeah. I don't know what the team-up is, but it should be interesting. Maybe <laughs> another uh, podcast or another group is joining them. That would make sense. Wait, the 29th? I think they announced that. I think they're going to a con that weekend. They're uh, actually on a, I think they're on a panel with a con, at a con. That would be, yeah. But, like, I mean, each shirt is worth, like, 20 to $25, depending. You have the patches, which are, like, $6 each. Mm-hmm. You have the buttons, which are $7. You have the bumper stickers, which are, like, about $11. I can't even tell you how often people ask me for Welcome to Night Vale stuff at Hot Topic. Like, I can't even tell you. Like, I have a, bu- a, a Night Vale button that I got from DragonCon. Because um, mm-hmm. I went to the Dragon Con meetup and someone had made buttons for the event. Oh, I probably I would say two to three, sometimes sometimes every day, every shift depending on the week and who comes in. I get people asking them if we have Nightville stuff. I actually sold someone a pullover sweater, convincing them it was a Nightville sweater because. It was a tan sweater, and on the front, in black, it had the silhouette of a town. On the back, it had a cat on it. And I was like, this is totally a Night Vale sweater, because see how it's the desert on the back? It's Koshek. And they're like, 
oh my god it is and they paid me 32 dollars for this sweater at Hot topic oh you horrible person <laughs> like if these guys actually like wanted to push out and make make a brand and like sell their stuff to a corporation they would really make a killing for a while the problem is though for one they they now they're getting all the money 100 percent of it then they would have to pay a company if they did that right. number two i know that's why malcolm Moore's is doing so well he doesn't have to answer to a label because he's still and he's still an indie artist he doesn't answer to any of those people but the thing is is like you know eventually when it ends that that's the difference. Like if they went and like kind of went mainstream, I think they would actually lose a lot of their fans because it'd be because you know there would be those people who are like, oh, Nashville is so mainstream now, <laughs> and so I think that they would lose a lot of steam doing that. I don't have anything else about Dana and John Peters other than I hope they come back soon. I can't and, wait to see and, what happens. And like the plot point of you know what they're going through. Yeah, I mean, all that's in our theories later on, So, but yeah. them as actual characters, I really don't have anything. <sighs> Not really, because we don't know a lot about them. So I just wanted to uh, also point out Hiram McDaniels and the faceless old woman that lives in your home, only just because they've been really coming up a lot lately, and um, I know we'll talk more about them later as well. Especially in since they showed up in condos. And they've each had their own spots in recent episodes to promote their campaigns. Right. I don't know who I'd vote for. <laughs> well, I didn't throw it in there because he's only been mentioned, but he hasn't shown up. But that Marcus guy, he's like the billionaire of the town, and he's recently started running for... Oh, you mean the guy who has, like, that part of the library that has glass and he walks around naked? Yeah, like, he's recently thrown his hat in the ring, but I really, I totally forgot about him until I was looking up the mayor race on the Night Vale with Kia. You just told me about Marcus. I did not remember him as a character until you just mentioned his name, and I'm like, Marcus? Yeah, to be honest, I, I rediscovered him, like, 20 minutes before this podcast. So that's why I didn't put him, and we'll probably not talk too much about him but when i when it comes to hiring mcdaniels and the faceless element i feel like they just need to have a mention in this character discussion only because of the fact that uh, they've been very prominent recently right especially the faceless old woman more so she's been in a lot of episodes and, of course, her voice actress is uh, Mara Wilson, who is Matilda. Whoa, really? Yeah. Like the original tiny, adorable little girl? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, how did they get her? That's amazing. I don't know. Oh, oh that's so cute. Am I oh, just blowing your mind with voice actors? Really are. <laughs> because, like, I, I listen to an iPhone, I follow it on Tumblr, but I really only see it from people I follow. I really very rarely, like, go out and, like, branch out and, like, look on YouTube and everything like that. Because, honestly, I like reading the spoilers and stuff like that. But Nightfall is one of the few shows that I really don't indulge in the other stuff. Only because I kind of, it's it's so abstract and absurd and out there that I kind of like having my own theories and waiting for the original material. Because, like, if you look at the video for the live show, yeah, it's actually her. The oh, my God. Girl who- like... Yeah, the um, girl who plays Matilda, yeah. God, I'm still, like, blown away with that. But, yeah, I just wanted to bring it up, because they've been really prominent. I think I like Hiram slightly more than the Faceless Old Woman, but that's just saying that I like Milk Chocolate slightly more than Fudge. He was actually really interesting in condos. Like, each of his five heads has a different personality. And that's what I like about him, because I I feel like there are, (laughs) like, many facets of him. 
I was pretty much keeping myself from laughing because of the conversation with Hiram. I honestly could listen to an entire episode of just Hiram. Like, it was interesting, like, when he was first introduced, like, earlier in the show, like, what, there's a five-headed dragon who wants to run for mayor? What? Uh, No, he was a five-headed dragon that was running away from tax fraud. I know, and now he wants to be mayor, and people are like, yeah, I'll vote for him. Because the original story of Hiram, it, just running over Tesla fraud, it just completely interests me. Because you have this, like, convict that's a five-headed dragon. How, for one, the hell are you going to, like, apprehend a five-headed dragon? It's not going to work. On top of that, he just kind of grew. I mean, I, I feel like I watched Hiram grew, because before he went from, like, convict to this candidate... And he's kind of grown up. I feel like, in a way, this five-headed dragon has, like, grounded himself a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Does that sound so weird? We're talking about Night Vale. No. So I've really enjoyed seeing Hiram grow, and I think that's why I like him slightly more than the Faceless Little Woman. And I I think also we've just been getting a lot of the Faceless Little Woman so much lately that I kind of want to get other characters in more. Right, because we know pretty much what the faceless old woman who that secretly lives in your home is about. Yeah, she moves your shit around, and she, like, picks the stuff to her liking and stuff. And that you but, can barely see her out of the peripheral of your vision. Now, I did like her, um, oh, was it her? Or maybe it was Dana. I can't remember if it was her or Dana, but one of them were talking about how you turn your head just slightly to see a different perspective. Was that Dana? I don't know. If it is the faceless little woman, I like her talking about that. <laughs> if it's Dana, then that, my point is totally moot. I don't know. They both seem like interesting candidates, and I just want to see what they're going to do with it. <laughs> you know, I would love to see them do a quote-unquote live debate on Cecil's show. To and it, cause you know how they always have those like like you know candidate debates like on TV and stuff like that. I would I really want an episode where they do a live debate on their show and they just go back and forth and like argue stuff over like the librarians and the bloodstones and they just like that would <laughs> go be back and forth. Really interesting. Cause I can see Hiram be like just say it like talk out of one head and like the old woman will go to faceless old woman will go to argue back and he goes no no I still have four more heads. <laughs> It makes me wonder, because I'm looking over, like, the character, is there more than one faceless old woman? Because, like, in Cassette, younger Cecil specifically mentions the faceless old woman that secretly lives in his home. And apparently, like, the faceless old woman lives in everyone's home. So is there, like, one faceless old woman, but she just moves between houses in some way? Or are there multiple faceless old women? That's a good point. I don't think they're, like, a species. (laughs) The species of faceless old women. That's true, because, like, well, that that goes back to our very, one of our earlier discussions about age. Like, how does age work? Like, we don't, she, we know she's an old woman, but how long has she been doing this? Long, at least long enough for Cecil to be younger. And she also sounds very young. For all we know, she could really actually be a ghost, which I wouldn't put it past having a ghost in Night Vale. Also, what Cecil, he brought up this really good point. How does she talk if she doesn't have a Maybe it's telepathy. I don't know. Maybe we hear her in our minds as the listener. Oh, oh, I just thought of something. What? If she is a ghost, do you know what EVPs are? Yes, I do. Yeah, for people who don't know what EVPs are, it's a, it's a thing in paranormal studies. Like, Oh, it's an le- electronic voice phenomenon. Yeah. And what it is is that when you have a recording, you can sometimes pick up the voices of ghosts, but you don't hear it with your ears. You can only hear it when you play back a recording. 
what if we're hearing EVPs of her? And so, like, but but at the same time, Cecil talks with her. Never mind. That just blew it up. That would be interesting. Well, maybe he just hears her voice in his mind. Maybe, maybe. it's like a combination of both. Maybe. Or if he is wearing headphones as he records, because a lot of radio broadcasters have to put on headphones when they record so they can hear stuff like when their interns talk to them and they're not distracted by other stuff and they right. can hear guests. Maybe he's hearing EVPs through his headphones and then the listeners are hearing it because we're hearing it through the podcast and they're hearing it through the radio. It's possible and that's one of the great things about Night Vale is that you just don't know. You really don't know. But I don't think there's a species of old women's that live in your home. I think there's only just one. Because even then she was talking in condos about how she... I know we're referencing condos, but we literally both just listened to it in the last 24 hours. <laughs> it's the most fresh one on my right. brain. She probably just moved between houses because she was talking about that one lady that she used to live with. Maybe she's not in every... Well, they say that lives in your home. They always take your as, like, the, the podcast listener, not as the actual people of Night Vale. I don't think she lives in everyone's home. Unless she... I mean, she could, though. Maybe she's omniscient. Oh, that's the thing. You just reminded me because I was about to say, like, maybe she is omnipotent or something because um, she's like, I know what's going on even while I'm talking to you here right now. Oh, I forgot about that. She does. So does she, like, know everything that's going on in Night Vale? What if she's, like, the physical manifestation of Night Vale? <laughs> I know. I just thought of something that's a little sacrilegious. Sorry. No, I mean, what if she's, like, Night Vale's god? Because StrexCorp is always talking about their smiling god. Their smiling god with a smile and a face. Well, she's a faceless old woman. She'd be like the opposite of their smiling god. Hmm, that's interesting. And she knew about the condos. She warned Cecil. She was like, don't go near the condos. Right. And so if she doesn't see Cecil, maybe, maybe, I don't know. We'll just have to see. So shall yeah. we move on to StrexCorp? No, I only want to talk about StrexCorp at this moment, about what it actually is. Like, what did it, where did it come from, where it, what it is, and then we'll say, even though we've been talking a lot about StrexCorp theories already, we'll save the rest for the end just talking theories. We don't, do we exactly know what StrexCorp is involved in? We do not. I'm going to read from the Wikia. Yeah, I have the wiki up too. Yeah, the government of Desert Bless is too disorganized to keep the town in order, so the town is instead maintained by StrexCorp. StrexCorp provides the citizens of Desert Bluffs with trade schools, regulated behaviors, insurance, helpful pandemics, and black helicopters, and services that are mostly provided by the city councils and Desert Bluffs' sister city, Nightvale. The relatively outlook, sunny outlook of Desert Bluffs' citizens, despite the fact that their environment is apparently even more terrible than Nightvale, seems to have been imposed upon them by StrexCorp propaganda. And it kind of seems like the people in Nightvale are kind of iffy about StrexCorp. They're like, we're not so sure about these people. <laughs> I tend to think there are three different types of people in Nightvale. There are the people who follow blindly, who just like go along with everything, you know, like like when the condos came, they're like, we don't even know what condos are, but we want them. Is, yeah! that, is that a condo? Uh, is that a condo? <laughs> That happens a lot. There's a lot of times where people will just do whatever happens to be going on and they just roll with it. And then there are people who are like Cecil who would kind of be in the middle. Like, while Cecil is naive and stuff, yeah. we, we see him wave back and forth with different things and different situations. And we, we know that he's totally against it. And then I think there are people like Tamika Flynn and like Carlos who are just, like, come flat out can see, like, this is something that is very wrong. I want to know what's up with Tamika Flynn. 
Like, what is she planning? How did the kids know more than the adults? Like, and maybe this goes back to the reprogramming. Maybe the kids flat out saw there's something wrong because the adults, like Cecil, have been reprogrammed so much. Well, remember, you do remember the time when all the children seemed to disappear for a brief moment of time. What happened during that time when they disappeared? I don't know. Maybe they got unprogrammed and they could see the truth. Possible. But I guess it might also have to do, like, with a different kind of innocence, maybe? I don't know. But, I mean, Tamika Flynn came out of that library with a librarian's head in her hands, so... I really enjoy Summer Reading Program. That's another really good episode. But, I mean, when it comes to Strux Corp, I really do think they're the big bad. Like, I think they're coming, and maybe they're... It sounds like they're trying to normalize these really weird worlds. Like, it sounds like... Like, maybe the, maybe Desert Bluffs was once like Night Vale, and it was all approved, but, like, because of Strex Corp's influence, it sounds like it's become worse. Maybe that is the normal world, like, the like the lady from Italy and stuff like that coming into this weird dimension, and that's what happens when you're, everything is the same. And maybe, and maybe that's what Night Vale ultimately is. Maybe it's a podcast about how you should always express yourself and be original, and it's, orig- it's about originality, because it kind of reminds me it's going to sh- show my nerdiness a little bit, of uh, the band My Chemical Romance. They came out with their Danger Days album, and if you actually follow the, the album of Danger Days, it's based on a comic book that Gerard Way was writing, and it was about Battery City, and uh, I forgot, oh, what's the company's name? Fuck. I'm I think I know what you're talking about because I've, like, heard about that. For our listeners, in Battery City, everything's white and everything's the same and there's no color and there's no originality and you have to take, you have to, like, listen to the same things all the time. And it's the Killjoys who are the color and the originality and they actually live in the desert. The fabulous Killjoys. And there's this company trying to wipe out the Killjoys and wipe out originality because they think it's anarchy and stuff like that. And that's kind of what Strex Corp reminds me of a little bit. I was going to say Strex Corp, like with how they run Desert Bluff. It reminded me a lot of Stepford Wives a bit. Ooh, I like that one. And if it's even more, like, crazy and bloody and everything, maybe that's them trying to fight back more and more. Like, to where Tamika Flynn was, like, taking down helicopters, like, it's going to eventually get to that level in Night Vale. And what you what? were thinking about the company from the Fabulous Killjoys one is Better Living Industry. Better Living, thank you. I don't have it right me, so... Thank you, Wiki. <laughs> thank you, Wiki. I don't have it right in front of me, even though I have all the Killjoys comics up in my room. And all their albums. And okay. I love my killer romance. Stop stop being broken up. Come back to us. Yeah. Be like Fallout Boy, come back. Yes. Yeah, I really like the new Fallout Boy album. I know there's gonna be people listening to us being like, Oh my god, their taste in music. Oh, these are terrible. And it's okay that you think that, but that's my favorite band is uh my couple romance. So they saved my life. I owe them my life. Aww. So uh Strix Corp. That was really off. Anyway, yeah, I don't want to talk much more about Strix Corp other than what it is. We don't, but you you raised a good point. We don't actually really know what they are, except for it's Strix Corp, Centernists Incorporated. What is it? What is a Centernist? I don't even know what this is. Let me look. It's it up. one of those things. Like I, every time I hear it on Night Vale, like Centernist, I'm like, I don't even know what this thing is. I don't know. All I know is that there's a couple of tumblers that have Strix. Corp. Now there's a word that's synergist. Yeah. And it's kind of muscle that performs or helps perform the same set of a joint motion in, as the agonist. I guess it's trying to like move. Like, I don't know. But that's a synergist. Well, I'm assuming synergist is a word they made right. up. Right. Also, okay. all we really know is that 
they run Desert Bluff, they're infiltrating Night Vale, and that they promote the worship of a smiling god, and that they seem to own everything. And they're slowly, quickly taking over everything. Kind of reminds me of Walmart. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness. They're really Walmart in disguise. <laughs> Walmart comes to Night Vale. Everyone gets shittiest jobs. <laughs> Everything's the same, and it's imported from China. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to touch it much more until we get to the theories. But, I mean, yeah, I'm a little bit scared about Strixcorp. There's interesting fan headcanons that are on um, Tumblr that I once mentioned in the series later on that have to do with Strixcorp. I saw a random one that was like, Strixcorp controls the sun, and I was like, this has no proof behind it. <laughs> this person was just, like, making up stuff, and I was just like, okay. But I wouldn't put it past them to make a company own the sun. <laughs> I don't know, there's like a micronation where they claim the whole universe. Yeah, no, I did see another good one about Strexcore boning the sun, and it actually had a lot of backing to it about how there's a lack of time, and how in Desert Blast there seems to be more time. Because they have to do things at certain times of the day, and so maybe they do. But that, and that one was much better prepared. The other one was like, Strix Squares owns the sun because they have a lot of money and they own everything. And I was like, that's not... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want to talk about Kevin. Because, oh my gosh, I really... More than Dana, more than Carlos, I want the return of Kevin. Kevin was a really interesting character. He creeps me out. We'll literally talk about this in our next point after we finish two more characters. There's a reason I really love Sandstorm A and B, and I love seeing the anti-Cecil. He very much is the anti-Cecil, even though they kind of look alike. Just emotion-wise. Cecil has so many emotions, and they fluctuate, and they go back and forth and up and down. Kevin is just all the time happy, and there's really nothing other than this, and it's always okay and swell, and it's really weird to see that, like, this other character that has no other emotions other than this, while Cecil's going up and down and everywhere, and he's like, oh. It's very Stepford wife-ish. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, totally. If this is Cecil's double, because, you know, there were two Danas, you know, everybody got doubles. Do For what, number one, do all the doubles have the same name, or do they all have different names? It's possible that they probably all have different names. Because even Dana was saying, like, I don't, I killed my double, but I don't even know if I'm the real Dana. Like, I've just probably been going by Dana, if I am not the real. Like, if they she knew her name was something other than Dana, then she would know. Because Kevin knew he was Kevin. Right. But Dana is not even sure if she's the real Dana, which means they were both probably named Dana. So I don't even know if Ke- Kevin is really Cecil's double or if they just happen to run into each other. Something pretty interesting, though, this is kind of just random, but... The person who voices Kevin, the actor who plays him, is actually a playwright, and his name is Kevin R. Free. Or at least a lot of the early characters have the same names as their names. Except Dana. Except for Dana. Okay, everybody but Kevin and (laughs) Cecil. Maybe that's why they did it, though, to show that they're doubles. But now I'm I'm throwing out, like, maybe Kevin's not his double. I'm just throwing that out there to play devil's advocate. I do think this is Cecil's double. I think this is the anti-Cecil. Oh, no. Like, they mentioned that, like, when they were describing each other in Sandstorm. They look exactly like, except for their eyes. Someone did the best Kevin cosplay a Dragon Con. Oh, really? And what it is, he looked like a blood cover Cecil. And it could have been Cecil, but when this person closed their eyes, they had on their eyelids drawn black eyes. Oh, that's crazy. So they could go back and forth between Cecil and Kevin. It was really cool. Well, I wish I got a picture of them. I saw them, but I never got a picture of it. I understand the blood thing because it said that his booth is covered in animal viscera and the floor is littered with and hair. I'm wondering, uh, to go back to, <laughs> I keep reading the point I'm trying to make, I'm wondering if he really is the anti-Cecil, if Kevin has the exact same background as Cecil. It's 
possible. I don't really know about Kevin. Like, we don't know really anything except for that one brief moment in Sandstorm B. And even in Sandstorm A, he comes over too. I love when he comes over because I was like, this normal person just entered this like room and he was going to be like, what is this? What's going on? He's just like, what a lovely place I'm at, Desert Bluffs. <laughs> I have to wonder, like being doubled, I really just want to know, well, for one, what if in cassette, the thing that Cecil was seeing was his double and it was Kevin? Hmm. I'm really wondering how much Kevin is constantly there and it's going to come up and like everything you see out of the corner of his eyes, or well, I still like the theory that this is all in Cecil's head and it's all imaginary, and that Kevin, like his like other personality, that's kind of like over his shoulder berating him or something, but kind of like his shoulder demon. But I mean, I'm wondering how often they're trying to switch out Cecil with Kevin, and I don't know. I have Kevin theories. Hmm. He's just that really interesting character, and even though he's shown up for only one episode, there are already so many theories about him. From what I can tell from Tumblr, he's up there as, like, being a fan favorite. Like, a lot of people really like Kevin. I really like Kevin. I like Kevin. He creeps me out, but I like him. Like, the one thing I really wanted to see was Kevin and Cecil together. And instead, they always just talk about how they passed each other. And, like, <laughs> I like their different talks where Kevin's like, and I hugged him. And Cecil's like, and I started strangling him. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but I want to actually see them talk. I want to see them together. That's a need. Like, I need that more than Carlos's backstory. <laughs> I need Kevin and Cecil in a room together, talking to each other. That would be interesting. Yes, like, that's... I need it. I need it. <laughs> and then, last thing about Strix Corp, because these guys kind of go with it. We're seeing these. I wanted to put Daniel, who is the new station management. For one, how did they get out the original station management? Because it was like Cthulhu in an office. <laughs> like, how did they get rid of that, for one? But then, they also, in the Deaf Bowman, correct? Oh, uh, yeah. Yes. Brought in Lauren, uh, Lauren Sharp, who is the new, what is she, like, the program manager? Oh! <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think Daniel's the station manager and Lauren's in charge of Cecil's program. Oh, Lauren is also another person who shares the name with the actress. There you go. Because to me right now, Daniel's incredibly scary. More scary. But Lauren is scary in her own way, too. Like, because you know that she's planning something. They were very blunt about how Daniel was scary. Because he would stand outside the door of Cecil's door and just watch him. And then, like, just be mouthing, like, shut it off, turn it off, stop talking, stop reporting. But, like, he would just stand outside of Cecil's door. And even before he started telling Cecil to stop reporting, Cecil would just look up and just be like, he's standing outside my door, guys. Guys. <laughs> I don't know what Which to do. Which is kind of creepy. It really is. I can accept the Cthulhu monster, like, as the station manager. I can't accept this normal person just staring at Cecil. <laughs> That's what Nightville does to us. I'm going to mention that when we talk about the top episodes. So that's why Daniel's really scary, but Lauren's scary because she played into Cecil being naive, which means I think Strux Corp is really watching Cecil closely. Right, and not just Cecil, but the people around Cecil, like the people that he cares about most. And if if you haven't caught up to Jeff Bowman, they introduced Lauren, and she was just introducing her, and she was talking about like the new programs for the show, and Cecil was like, I'm so excited about this. And she's like, you know what I'm pretty much also excited about? what's your boyfriend's name he's like carlos yes carlos yeah your boyfriend carlos okay bye and he was just like no what made it even worse is like yes carlos the one who stopped the orange groves and 
stop. Yes. So much money. So much money. And how she was like, and, and money is better than lives. <laughs> there was a moment, because the thing is, when I listen to Night Vale, I listen to it in my car. The episodes are usually about like 24 to 30 minutes long, give or take. I think the longest it has ever been is like was like 28 minutes. Minus yeah. condos. condos. Condos is a special one. Yeah. I, it takes me about 10 to 15 minutes to drive to work, depending on traffic, and then 10 to 15 minutes back. So I usually listen to the first half driving to work and the second half back. And so when they were doing that one, I was driving to work and I just pulled in to the parking lot when they were talking about Cecil. And I had my windows down and I work at a mall, so there's like other people parked around me. And there was a moment where I just went, Cecil, shut up! <laughs> and this person was like walking by. <laughs> And they just looked at me. God. Uh, when I talk about a beautiful dream, there's another. That's another instance of me like yelling at my car radio and people staring at me. <laughs> I do it a lot, but there's. I just was just like, Cecil, shut up! You need to shut up right now. And we'll talk about theories in a minute. I keep saying yeah. that, but like, there's a reason that. I really was just like just yelling, like, just shut sort up. Of. You keep mentioning A Beautiful Dream, and I heard that episode right before I was in my personality class, and I was just, I don't know what I was thinking in the personality, like, before that hand, and I'm like, no, I kind of want to turn this off. I didn't get to listen to the second half till like, five hours later, till I like after work and so the whole time I was sitting there going yeah I know I hope the episode doesn't end with like Carlos dead <laughs> yeah but I can agree with you with the uh talking to Lauren Sharp about Carlos I'm like please don't mention Carlos's name please I was like don't do that don't do that but honestly all they had to do is like look back at Cecil's record and be like okay Carlos <laughs> or probably just look on his Facebook page <laughs> <laughs> I hate that they had to actually ask Cecil about that <laughs> Cecil's so boisterous about his Facebook page they'd be like what's his boyfriend's name I don't know. Oh, look, he's in a relationship with Carlos. Okay. Carlos the scientist. Strex Corp, you have to be smarter than this. <laughs> I don't know. I think Strex Corp only has Twitter because Kevin has Twitter. Mm, there you go. Uh, maybe they have an endorsement from Twitter. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, Strex Corp, endorsed by Twitter. Actually, it makes more sense because, you know, everything's 140 characters, so less time, you're, le- you're, you're wasting less time to get your point across. So you can spend more time being productive. And with less characters, there's less amounts of being able to question Strike Corp. Yep, there you go. That's the drill characters. Some of the major characters in Night Vale, you know, two hours later. <laughs> there's other characters, but they only show up like once or twice or get mentioned. I really, I do want to move on to the episodes. Angel and I picked our, what, our five favorite episodes? Yeah. yeah. And then a couple honorable mentions for us. It was really difficult for me to choose my favorite we'll be talking about i i just want to know what is your favorite episode oh god i it's so hard to choose and if you had to sit down and listen to an episode of night Vale right now which one would you listen if to? if i had to listen to one right now oh god which one would i listen to first answer first answer answer now uh probably cassette i really liked cassette how about this we have two that are the same we have Sandstorm and Story About You. So how about this? We'll talk about those two first, and then we'll alternate on the last three. So what did you, which one do you want to talk about? I want to talk about Sandstorm. <laughs> I keep this is my podcast, damn it. We're talking about we Sandstorms. 
Okay, for what I liked about Sandstorm is, for one, I love seeing this other town. I love seeing Kevin. And they totally pulled the wool over my eyes on this one. I was imagining, uh, you know, it was a normal episode of Night Vale for Sandstorm's A. And then when Kevin came in, it, it perked my interest because I didn't know who this guy was. It wasn't Cecil. And I thought it was just brilliant, you know, to kind of tease Desert Bluffs. And I was excited to hear someone actually from this other town because we had always heard about this rival rivalry. But it goes back to Cecil being an unreliable narrator. You know, we don't actually know if Desert Bluffs is bad. And so I was driving down the road, and I listened to Sandstorm A, and I was still driving down the road, because I was driving to Atlanta when Sandstorm B came up. And so the entire episode, I'm cracking up. I thought it was just the funniest thing in the world, because they have, like, pony forks, and everything is happy. And I was just like, and I had this idea in my head that Desert Bluffs is this perfectly normal town that has just a few odd things here and there, and everything's just kind of happy and sunny and like Nightville is the weird place and then when you get Cecil there and I heard how terrified Cecil was we never hear Cecil scared like that scared and he is petrified and he started describing the teeth and the animal visceral everywhere and the blood and the, like you know the dead clone of their intern on the ground and I was just like oh my god what just happened like it was a total shift in tone and it was amazing because then it turns because we trust Cecil you know even though he's an unreliable narrator we trust him because we've right. worked with him that long and so the moment that Kevin got back I didn't trust a single goddamn damn thing that came out of his mouth and I was scared of him like I was just like he he became suddenly incredibly creepy he went from really funny and it's like <laughs> pony parks to oh pony parks and I was just like and oh my god it was probably the most emotionally charged two episodes for me and then you mentioned like the whole steve carlsberg thing but even then it, i didn't even really catch that until like a second third listening like th like this was my first initial gut reaction to sandstorm and even now when i think about it if i had to sit down and want to listen to an episode right now it'd be sandstorm b because sandstorm a as much as i love it it's pretty much a night Vale episode sandstorm b is the one that's probably my by far favorite episode of Night Vale. And I just love the music. The music's just like, boop, 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 so happy. <laughs> I actually preferred more Sandstorm B than Sandstorm A, because as you said, Sandstorm A was a bit more of a typical Night Vale episode. Their doubles thing was very interesting, because there is this theory of doppelgangers, even in our world. Very interesting mm -hmm. that there's at least one other person that looks like you and what might happen if you mm -hmm. ever meet that person. Well, now we know because of Night Vale that you have to kill your double. Anyway, when I listened to Sandstorm B, I was creeped out from the first moment because I was so used to Night Vale and how weird it was. So to go to this very happy, perfect, as I said, Stepford-like town i was like i don't know if i like this this is weird <laughs> like it kind of tells you something about night vale when the the nice normal town yeah. is weird <laughs> like it just creeped me out already and yeah kevin was a really interesting character and then they talk about how the animal viscera and stuff that's in his office and i got even more creeped out that was like the most creepy episode ever and to draw that sort of reaction from someone that means it's like a really great episode when you go back and re-listen to it like knowing from the beginning what it is it makes it even creepier it really does because you know the entire time 
<laughs> there's just like blood and animals and teeth around you. See, but to me, how smiley it was, like even in normal day life, if someone is that smiley and that happy, I get creeped out. Hey, now, I'm a happy person. I, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm usually a happy, optimistic person, but there's happy and then there's desert blah. Happy. happy. There's happy and then there's happy. Right. It, it was a good episode. Creepy, but good. <laughs> Uh, and I, I think it's also probably one of the milestone episodes because it pretty much kicked off. I kind of think of it as the everything before Sandstorm is kind of like in one chunk and everything after Sandstorm is in another chunk because it is the introduction of Strux Corp. It is the introduction of this company. And everything since then has been building on those two episodes. Even though like we still have like the, the man in the tan jacket, which came before, you know, this rivalry with Desert Bluffs. I just crack up every time Desert Bluffs like, oh, those ruffians over at Night Vale. <laughs> Meanwhile, Night Vale is like those horrible people from Desert Bluff. I fucking hate them. And, I, and they're just like, oh, Night Vale, yay. Also, like, their team names are like Sunshine and... The Sunshiners or something, I don't remember. Meanwhile, Night Vale is like the Scorpions. I was saying, like, even though we do still have themes from before Sandstorm, everything is yet has built off these two episodes right. since then. So I, I feel like they are probably, I don't want to say the most important there, but they're in the top tier of important episodes of the story right. of Night Vale. All right, so I started on that one. What do you like a story about you? It was just a really interesting concept because usually we hear about like the weirdness of going on that's going on in Night Vale, like with John Peters, you know, the farmer or old woman Josie or something weird that's going on. But we actually get to hear about someone else, like their own life story. I don't know. It was just a really interesting concept and I, I really enjoyed listening to it. Do you have an introduction with Cecil or does he flat out start off with this is a story about you and starting the story like does he have an intro at all it's been a while since i listened uh, to i don't know uh, <laughs> we're such good listeners sorry listeners. sorry yeah they just lay down so much story and mythos every single episode it's so hard to remember all the details <laughs> as i said very interesting story and i'm wondering who you is because like they've mentioned that it's not the listener but it's another you but who is this you is it a, is it a person within Night Vale? Like, obviously it is a person, like, it's very meta-ish. Because here's the synopsis for it. You listen to a podcast. You check the episode description to see what is in store this time. It is a different kind of description that you are used to. You suspect the episode will be a different kind of episode than you are used to. You listen. So it kind of seems yeah. like this could be me or anyone else. That's how I took it. But I, I don't want to, like, break into your... I want to let you talk about your stuff, and then I'll talk about my stuff. It's fine. They say that because on the Night Vale wiki, there's two different yous. There's the listener you, and then the character you. Now, keep in mind, the Night Vale wiki is actually written by, like, fans. So it could just be a fan interpretation of these two different things. Right. Within the canical Night Vale, there is no distinction since Cecil is actually telling the story of you, the listener. So we kind of get to find out about the listener, which is, I don't know, it's interesting and it makes you think about the whole entire episode. And I'm really wondering, like, what was in that box? I think everyone wonders what's in the box. What's in the box? What I like about story about you, for one, I can appreciate it from a writer's standpoint because writing a story in a second point of view, a second character point of view, is incredibly difficult. Because for one, second person is very rarely used. It's, it's it's such a really 
the problem with second person is when you're thrusting the reader in that position, it kind of over time gets to a point where if you do something that the reader doesn't agree with, then it takes them right. out of the story. And that's, that's what makes second person so hard, because if you're reading a story and it's second person, it's like, and then you go over and you feel this way, and then you, like, are so upset, and you, like, jump off a building. Like, your reader's going to be like, no, I'm not. I don't feel that way. For one, it's an incredibly difficult point of view to write in. I always hated, in pretty much every writing class, from, like, middle school through college until I got my degree, that, like, I always hated those exercises that had to write in second person. Because it's never used. It's incredibly hard to use. And so I really, first and foremost, reward these guys for writing in second person an entire episode. Yeah, so as a writer, I really appreciate this. And they also teach you, like, within college to not write you. Yeah, they flat out teach you. You never use you in college. Like, they beat, they pretty much, like, brainwash it out of you. I always took the you in this episode as as you as as you and me, we are the listeners. We, we came to Nightville as listeners in this episode. And you isn't a character, it's us. So this is a story about what would happen if we came to Nightville. And this is our story. So, like, whenever it's referring to us as you in this one episode, it puts us in the position of what it's like to be a person in Nightvale. And I kind of liked that. It was what it's like to be a normal person in this town. And it gives us a different perspective in this town, you know, because it's not about Cecil. It's not about Carlos. We're seeing our daily life of what a day in the life of a regular normal person in Nightvale looks like. Right, that is true. What would you do in Nightvale? Like, what would life be like? It's perfectly normal to go, like, bury stuff in the desert. <laughs> so. It's just a unique take. It's different from the other Night Vale episodes. Yeah, it's, it's completely different than anything else in this episode. I Actually, I really remember enjoying this episode. Like, this is one of the episodes I've only listened to once, because there was a time where I was, like, burning through episodes of Night Vale to try to get caught up. And I actually went on... It's when I went to Florida back in November, actually... I, it was eight hours one way and eight hours back. So I listened to like 10 episodes of Night Vale and like in a day. So I, I, it kind of got mixed in with those like middle sections and it all kind of <laughs> runs together. But I mean, I remember just having to pause after this episode because I really enjoyed it. And I had to kind of just process it before I went off to the next episode. It's an episode that makes you think. It really is. But the entire podcast makes you think. But this is a particularly right. special one. So yeah. I do like that one. All right, so those were our two that we shared. Do you want to go back and forth of what we listened to, what we liked about these other three? Do you want to start or me? Your podcast. All right, I'll start. I put down station management. It was the first time I invested myself in like night felt because before station management, I was just kind of listening to it and I was like, oh, okay, my friends like this, and I was just trying to get into it, just start, still trying to kind of wrap my head around it because you know, pilot is pilot. You're learning about the dog park and you're learning about Carlos, and you know, it's it's the foundation episode. You know, they're laying down right. the groundwork of this. Glow cloud, you know, is kind of you know, it's introducing these still weird themes. There's this glow cloud, it's raining animals, dead animals animals and stuff like that you know it's it's the next one station management was the first time i actually invested myself in cecil he was getting his review and it was that moment at the very end when the station management's coming from him and he sounded scared and he was hiding under his desk and you didn't know how it was going to end it was the first time i cared for cecil and his well-being and i connected with him and so like even though it's not i i think there are other you know better written episodes and you know other episodes are stronger it's still that was my first time i really connected with him 
him and I really got this podcast and it made me want to keep going and, and listen to more. So I really love station management. I have to agree it is a good episode and you do kind of get connected to Cecil because this is the first time that you do hear him being scared. scared. And it also helps that they added in the mysterious sounds of the station management because when I heard those sounds for station management, I was like, oh my God. What is that? (laughs) I would be so scared in Cecil's situation. Like, I am glad that I am not there. (laughs) I actually, like, when the episode ended, I thought Cecil had died. And so I went, what just happened? And so when I was listening to the next episode, which is PTA meeting, and everything was back to normal, I suddenly got this podcast that, like, nothing is normal in this town. And I was just like... Why is Cecil still alive? <laughs> Almost everything seems to, like, reset, except for a few things. I was about to make a reference and a joke, but then our listeners would have to take a drink, as in the drinking game at the beginning, so I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> okay. It's actually been really good, so let's not do that. Okay. I guess I'll talk about one year later. Part of the reason why I do like this episode is for the Cecile Carlos getting together thing. I totally agree. That's why I like that episode. It was a very sweet scene of how they got together. They didn't have to say anything, really. It was just a moment. It was so sad with Cecil holding on to that trophy and just crying. And my heart really went out for him. I'm like, I actually am more attached to Cecil than Carlos. I am. It's hard not to. Isn't this the one, because uh, this isn't like that spiel of like 10, 15 episodes I, wa- I listened to driving to Florida. This is the one where Carlos was injured, wasn't it? And we lost the Apache tracker, correct? Right. Okay, just making sure. And I was going to make that point. I also like this episode because this is when a major plot thing finally kind of wraps up. Because we've been hearing about the tiny civilization that lived under the desert flower bowling alley and arcade fun complex. We have been hearing about that, but we finally get like this huge plot development i think it was wrapped up very interestingly and rest in peace apache tracker <laughs> a lot of big plot things move forward with this like we got cecil and carlos getting together but also with the passing of the apache tracker who i actually always liked so i was really <laughs> upset because <laughs> i was like cecil he's actually a really good guy <laughs> And it's just Cecil, I kind of feel like the Apache Tracker was actually really normal. (laughs) And that's why Cecil didn't like him. Or as normal as the guy who uh, switched races and languages. (laughs) I always felt like he was more normal than the rest of him. Because he's also friends with you and a story about you. But I mean, like, I I actually really missed, I miss him a lot. I, I, I wish there was some way to bring him back. I thought he was an interesting character. He really was. So I was really upset with his passing. But at the same time, it was also the first time we saw major character development in Cecil on many levels, like with Carlos. But also we saw him change his feelings about the Apache Tracker and it made him grow as a person. So there was just a lot happening in one year later and that's why I liked it. It was, I don't know, it built on everything that had come before and finally blossomed. And again, Cecil and Carlos and their really sweet moments. Anything else about that one? Not that I can think of. Like, I'm very simple when it comes to, like, why I like an episode. (laughs) I have nothing wrong with that. People like things for different reasons, and, like, the depth is, you know, how they feel about it. And there's nothing wrong with people having different layers of what they feel about things. Okay, so you want to talk about Dana? 
I have Dana. I do. I really like episode 30, Dana. There's an episode title named Dana, not talking about the character Dana, but, but it really features her. And I liked this one for one, because it was the return of Dana. You know, we had lost her in the dog part. We got a few texts here and there and a couple co- phone calls, but this was like the major return of Dana. And setting up this whole huge like mountain and lighthouse motif, this other, like we've already talked about sound like with John Pearson, you know, the farmer. Just like Sandstorm, a lot of things were being set up in this one. But I also just remember foils they were setting up with what was going on in the episode like you would have Carlos describing there's this house and he felt like something was passing through Mm -hmm. him and then you had Dana's point of view and she was like I saw Carlos and I passed through him so it had nice foils and layers in the writing about how they balanced between the two of them and just I felt like it was another big major plot episode and really setting up the road of going somewhere we don't know where we're going with this mountain and this white house and all this and what's coming but I mean we it's it's going somewhere and I, I just feel like it was another milestone episode to build on top of Sandstorm to go towards the end game. And not only that, but we do see how fond Dana and Cecil are of each other. So they kind of grow grow through each other as well. Yeah, those are some of the best like Cecil voices. Like he was just like, Dana, Dana, like really like concerned for her. And I like it's yeah, like you were saying earlier, I think he's she's actually one of his friends and he really is concerned for her. I have to admit it is a good episode. All the episodes are kind of good. <laughs> just kind of good. Well, I mean, like, they have their own reasons for being good. Yeah, I mean, like, when we're saying these are favorites, it's like saying that we like bacon over ham. <laughs> like, yeah, they're both pork. <laughs> that was a really bad analogy. I promise I'm a writer. I write better than it's I talk. Kind of, it's kind of like saying that you like vanilla ice cream or you like vanilla ice cream with something on it. Yeah, there you go. It's all vanilla ice cream. It's all delicious and good. It's homemade vanilla ice cream, which makes it even better. It just some things have something extra that make it stand out. I originally put down cassettes too, so what did you like cassettes? I liked it because I am a major fan of backstory. I admit that I've written some things and I can plot out an entire backstory, but then when I get to an actual plot, I'm like, I don't know, something. (laughs) I I can attest to this. We have been role-playing friends since I was in college. I was in college, and I've been out of college for three... This December will be my fourth year out of college, for, so for three years. So when did we meet? When I was, like, about 15. And you're 21 today, so we've known each other, what, like, six, seven years? Yeah, about so, yeah. Wow, we've known each other a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> She's my writing partner. Right. Until we attest to her being like, yay, backstory, I don't know about plot now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the shit at that. I'm like, oh, no, backstory. But I can totally do what we're doing right now. Yeah. I think this is why we were able to write so well together, because... You give me the backstory, I'll give you the front stuff. Yeah. Anyway, backstory for a cassette. I like the backstory for Cecil, and we get to find out more about his life. Like, we get to find out that he had a mom and a brother that he didn't really like. He was just so passionate about radio, even when he was, like, what, 15? Yeah, something like that. And the voice was just so adorable. I'm like, oh my gosh, you sound so adorable. You sounded like a precious baby face. It was just really interesting to go back, like, between what was happening in the cassette and the present, because Diesel doesn't remember any of it. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And I got so worried towards the end, like with the mirror, I got this really bad sense of foreboding. I'm like, oh my God, what is going to happen? Because now thinking back to it, Cecil's mom used to look him in the eye and tell him that his downfall had to do like with mirrors or something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, connection. What happened? What happened with the mirror? Why doesn't Cecil not remember anything about this? So it was just interesting to see that. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much have the same reasons of why I like Cassette. So I love getting the backstory. But I, I felt like it was... I was expecting Kevin to come out of that mirror, actually. <laughs> like I was saying. Because I, I, I was thinking, like, the looking glass theory. Like, you know, being doubles. Like, they're each other's... On, on each other's looking glass. And that was the first time I started thinking, like, okay, do they have similar backstories? You know, are they... Do they both walk up to the mirror at the same time? They see each other at the same time. But they're just on either side of the looking glass, and they go through the exact same day. Does does Kevin have his own Carlos? And the mirror being his downfall, we'll talk about it in a minute, but I think one of my big theories is Strex Corp's going to start trying to replace Cecil with Kevin eventually. I'm because... also going to mention, does Kevin have his own Carlos? Because there's this really good art, and I want to talk about that in series. <laughs> That like that was when my theory is of, you know, these are kind of things that were coming in. And I still probably, I want to know more about what was in the mirror and this other thing that I want to know about the box and a story about you. Like, it's one of those things that are still kind of, in the recent episodes, kind of hanging that I just really want to know what that thing that he kept seeing, that loud noise and the ringing. So it's one of the bigger plot points that I'm a little bit more invested in, just waiting to see what it actually was and how Cecil his memory and why he can't remember anything past a certain time. I think that's like the biggest thing, like what happened? So that's why I like the episode so much. <laughs> my last bit of my top five favorite episodes was definitely Orange Grove. I really enjoy Orange Grove because of the fact that for one, it was a really strong story and I, I it was probably the first big threat from Shrek's Corp that we've seen move in since Sandstorm. Because we knew they were coming, and they, we knew they were really, you know, starting to take over the town a little bit. But it was the first time that we see kind of move being played, and there was, like, the other John Peters. And I think we had seen it missing that Cecil is starting to question his surroundings, and he supports uh, Tamika Flynn and, and Lazy Day and Beautiful Dream. Like, we know that these are things that are happening in yellow hel- helicopters. But this was the first big, I feel like, power play that was being done. I had trouble, and I loved it at the exact same time, seeing Cecil forced to report and do nothing and when I heard about Carlos getting near those oranges this was another time where I was like yelling in my car and scaring people around me when I'm driving when uh he goes to the orange grove I was just like Carlos don't touch the oranges like Carlos don't touch those Carlos and it was also like the first time I was like really scared for Carlos because like and one year later like he gets hurt and I was scared and I was I didn't want Carlos to leave but I didn't want Carlos to leave because I knew it would make Cecil sad. By this time Carlos had grown so much that I actually really cared about what happened to Carlos. Not like I don't want something to happen to Carlos because I don't want to hear Cecil be sad. Orange Grove was uh, pretty interesting. All of them are interesting in their own way. The last but... thing about Orange Grove is we see that the city council is starting to lose their grip a little bit. When all this was going down, they really pulled out of it. And it even says in the summary, that plus the city council tries to get out of town. They try to escape, but they can't. <laughs> yeah, I think this is, you know, the city council's really losing their grip. And like I said, the first big move that Strix Corp is making. And it was a very, another very important plot episode to me. That was, like you, there was a point where I was yelling at Cecil, like, no, shut up. Don't talk about Carlos. Mm-hmm. 
don't go after Carlos. And then the other part where I'm like, yeah, go Carlos. Go stand up to deranged Jeff, John Peters, you know, the dot farmer. <laughs> I'm looking at this art that you sent me and I'm really happy that Carlos's double is named Ricardo. Ricardo. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, I think for her art, the artist that we're talking about is Oxy Trey's art. She's on Tumblr. And Ricardo is one of the heads of Strex Corp. Mmm. I like that theory. So, your last one. What do you like about condos? Oh my gosh, there is so much to talk about condos. There's um, so much to talk about condos. That was a big episode. We could have a whole episode about condos. Let's if we're not. being truthful. <laughs> let's, let's pick the best points of condos. Well, first and foremost, we keep mentioning it. We should mention what condos actually is and why it's different from everything else. Okay, so Condos was originally the live show that they did on their West Coast tour. And they finally put it up on Valentine's Day? I believe so. I believe it was Valentine's Day. On Bandcamp, and it's only a dollar. Because it's on Bandcamp, it is on the, a minimum of a dollar, but you can pay more if you want as a donation. And that would be great of you if you donate to them. That way they can still keep up their wonderful podcast. Hey, by the way, if you're a great, fun listener of Hope All Trades and Two True Freaks, make sure you check out that donate button on our website. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> so Condos is just a really special live episode that they did. What do you like about Condos? And I'll tell you about what I like about Condos, because this was on my original list, too. First off, I just like the story. It is an interesting story. The whole condo's coming in and it's really weird and... No one knows what a condo is. No one knows what a condo is. <laughs> My favorite part when is when he's like, Is that a condo? Is that a condo? Is the grass a condo? What's a condo? Can I pay for this condo with a spine? <laughs> The concept of the condos was really interesting. Like, it's all perfect in there, and it draws the person into it because they want this perfection. Really interesting concept, but I think what I liked most about it was all of the characters and, like, the development that happened in the episode. Because first, we actually have a voice for Hiram McDaniels now, and it was really fun getting to hear him. And this episode was just so funny. It is hilariously funny. We have the faceless old woman again and we finally have the new voice actor for Carlos so we finally got to hear him in condos. They had a, a good solution of why they changed voice actors. He basically had to change his vocal cords because you know he's a scientist and you know throat spiders. One of my favorite lines about Carlos comes from that episode like where he's mumbling and he's just like nah science. <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. There was a lot of development with the characters, especially with Carlos and Cecile. Their relationship. Carlos, with all his science talk, he, he's starting to realize like how important this relationship with Cecile is, and that it's finally time for them to move in together. But definitely not a condo. <laughs> yes, definitely. Maybe like a duplex. Maybe an apartment, but not a condo. Cecile, Cecil. I'm going to keep pronouncing his name differently in this podcast. Oh, that's fine. He finally realized that Carlos isn't perfect, but it's 
his imperfections that make them human and that it you know it's okay to be not perfect so that's what I kind of really liked about it it's that whole development leave it to Night Vale this weird ass show with like crazy dragons and like people and station management that's gonna try and kill you and other dimensions and doubles and like White House and stuff like that and throat spiders and throat spiders and like it's street cleaning day which is like a terror leave it to Night Vale to have the best summary of what love and relationships are. Basically accepting a person for who they are. Yes, because I when I first heard anything from condos, someone had recorded a seven-minute clip or something from one of their earlier live shows before they got the new voice actor. And they were just like, I think they were like in a bookstore or a library, and they were just doing a reading and, of condos. And I just remember being so moved by it. It's on my Twitter. Like, I have the YouTube video on my Twitter account in my videos and stuff. But I just remember being so moved by that scene when Cecil was like, you know, I realized that Carlos was not perfect, you know, in and that our relationship was not perfect. It's okay that it's not perfect because that means we have to work together and together we'll make a better relationship. This weird ass show has the best summary of I've ever heard about what love in a relationship is and how it's okay if it's not sunshine and rainbows. It actually teaches you quite a lot about life in general and finding a place to be accepted. And sometimes you have to search for it. Even all the tweets, some of them are kind of uplifting no matter how weird they are. And you're talking about the official Night Vale Twitter account. Not, you know, Kevin's tweets or something. <laughs> Kevin's tweets would be like, and now it's a bright sunny day. Make sure you brush and sharpen your teeth. <laughs> Yeah, some of it is very uplifting. Um, and sometimes their Twitter accounts is just plain hilarious and sometimes just plain creepy. Yeah. Okay, but um, I, I really want to know who runs their Twitter account. <laughs> I just really like the development and the story to it and the message that came from that. My other favorite part about condos is they kept in what I was hoping they would keep in. Like I said, the first thing I ever heard from condos was that seven-minute clip someone made at a reading. And I just cracked up at one point. The point is that I was like, when they brought in the new voice actor for Carlos, I was like so scared that they would cut out this one part because I just, I laughed so hard every time. And I'm so happy they kept it because it's the part where Carlos asks if they want to move in together and Cecil goes, and I said yes, and it was neat. <laughs> Oh, I love I, that part. I was like, part. so glad they kept it in, and they said it with the same veracity, and they said it with the same oomph, like, and I said yes! <laughs> what I liked about the neat part is that it's a callback to that one episode, and do you know what I said? I said, neat! I oh. can't believe I said neat! <laughs> Who says neat? <laughs> The only thing I'm, I just want to know where in the storyline, like, it falls. I'm feeling it's probably around after auction and before Orange Grove or in that kind of area. Because by Orange Grove, when they're texting about the Orange Grove, they're talking about, like, what to bring home for dinner. But I don't think I'm, it's in anything before that. Right. But I'm just so happy that they're living together now. Me because too. Ah, so sweet. Um, I really hope they get a pet. And it's like a five-headed scorpion or something. <laughs> or maybe one of Koshik's. Oh, they you can't know. take the kittens out. They already said that they can't. It's like a, like a scorpion bunny. I think it takes place because they have previous and next. Previous is listed as a blinking light up on the mountain, and next is yellow helicopters. 
Technically, when did the, the tour start? That'd probably be about when it started. It was first performed on the 25th of September. September? So then, it, yeah, it would pro- technically it would be after Blinking Light on the Mountain because that was its first performance. But you're more talking about when is it in... Um, the plot of the actual story. The plot of the actual thing. Because I think that they're actually living together at some point. I, I feel like they're living together in Orange Grove, but in Lazy Day, I feel like they're not living together, because I swear... Now, granted, I need to... I haven't, I've only heard Lazy Day once, but I feel like he said... Uh, Cecil at one point said over at Carlos's house, like, at Carlos' yeah. his house. Because he was planning on going over there afterwards. Yeah. Not like he was actually living there, but... But I mean, I could be wrong. Just... I could definitely be wrong. Right. Um, let's throw out some honorable mentions. I wanted to just throw out uh, the phone call as an honorable mention because it's the first time we ever hear Carlos. And they brought back the man in the tan jacket. And I was really scared that for Carlos in that episode. So, yeah, I wanted to throw out phone call as an honorable mention as a really good episode. Because it is the first appearance that we hear from Carlos and uh, having him having a voice. So, And I just remember just being like, oh, Carlos is speaking! Because all we've heard was, like, mentions of him before. And then, what's another one of your honorable mentions? We each have two. I put The Woman of Italy, but it mainly only got props because of what we mentioned before. Like, where right in the middle when he's talking about The Woman of Italy, he'll break out into, like, this trance sort of talking. And it creeped me out. I was like, there is something wrong with this. What is going on? This is bad. (laughs) Yeah, I've sort of get that episode i'm still trying to wrap my head around it i had no idea what to think of so i really enjoyed it but i don't know what to think of it i have no idea what to think about the woman from italy like i feel like you know she was a tourist who came though didn't weren't they trying to like better their tourism or something like the episode before so yeah so maybe it works (laughs) and then when the tourist actually came everyone flipped the fuck out what do we do? That just reminded me of the movie Cars, when they were like, every time a little car like drove into their town, and they're like, places, places, tourists! And they were like, super really excited about it, and they scared the people off. That's kind of how I feel like Night Vale would be with like, Adam oh. who would come to their town. Like, Kyron McDaniels, Daniels would be like, I'm the mayor! Welcome to Night Vale! And the tourists would just be like, Aah! I'm the dragon! Either that, or we'll have news vans like, rolling into town going, what is going on? Hiram McDaniel suddenly becomes the protector of the town, too. And in other news, there's a town in the middle of the desert where a five-headed dragon claims to be the mayor. Now back to you, Ted. Back to you, Ted. And, like, in the next shot, it goes back to Ted and the faceless old woman is standing, like, just in the corner of the actual TV station of, like, New York City because she apparently traveled that way, too. Oh my god, that'd be awesome. Though if I don't get Hiram McDaniels burning down Strex Corp at some point, I'm going to be really upset. (laughs) (laughs) Like, maybe they try to regulate to where he can only have, like, one head, and he just gets pissed off and just starts burning down the thing. Nice. Alright, my last honorable mention that I wanted to throw out. We'll finish up with these, and then we'll go on to theories. A Beautiful Dream, I remember for all the wrong reasons. (laughs) And I have to explain why I remember this for all the wrong reasons. 
So the basic plot of A Beautiful Dream is Megan, who is the adult male hand, who is actually a little girl named Megan in this town, wanted a way to communicate. So the city council made it okay to have computers, like this one computer for her from the Museum of Forbidden Technology. And that way she could communicate with all of us. But what happens over the course of the episode is the computer eventually takes over the city grid and is actually controlling anything that's a machine, like the street lamps and stuff like that in the city. The reason I have a problem with this episode. Okay, so I have legitimate fears. Like I don't like spiders. I don't like I don't like heights. You know, I, I have legitimate fear. I have one ginormous irrational fear, listeners. And I understand it's completely irrational, and I get it, but it scares the piss out of me. I have an irrational fear of the robot revolution. So you're kind of afraid of a whole Skynet sort of situation like the matrix <laughs> and i oh. and like that's like the reason that I, re- I remember that's when it started because you know you have the matrix and all that stuff but they had this other movie called the animatrix and it was this side project and it was like nine major it was done in japan and like nine major anime companies got together and did like their like each like short five to like 20 minute short film about like the that took place in the world they had ones that took place after the events during the events all the stuff the one that like stands out to me the most was the two-part history of how the events of the matrix like like what led up to it and there's this one point where this robot killed its owner because it was the owner was going to turn off the robot and its defense was didn't want to die oh my god i don't do that shit (laughs) i don't i don't play that game that right there just scared just thinking about it just gave me use of like i just don't i don't like the idea of the robot revolution when i was growing up around the same time that i saw the anime matrix there's this band called our lady peace and they released this album called spiritual machines and i really love this album but every other song is an entry from our actual history of when a robot has bested a human yeah it's incredibly creepy they have like the history of it like when it happens like by every instance from 1949 to 1997 i just i don't play that game like i just it just really scares me. Like, even just hearing robotic voices just scares me. The moment that computers started talking in that episode, I, I fucking almost crashed my car. <laughs> like, I slammed on my brakes. Like, it just scared. Like, because it, it's this irrational fear that I have. Like, I just hit my brakes. <laughs> and the car behind me, like, had to stop. And I was just like, I'm so sorry. I'm listening to robots. <laughs> I can understand because, as I said, I was listening to that episode in my personality class. Hearing that voice, I got so creeped out. I'm like, no, I don't want to be here anymore. I can't do it. So, like, while it's a really good episode, and I, I love the end concept, and I felt so bad for Megan, like, I think it's from watching The Addams Family, too, and, and Thing running around. Like, I could see right. the emotion yeah. in the hand of, uh, like, when Megan was defeated. And I, like, I, like, wanted her to be okay. You know, Jeffrey Kramer, Joseph Fink, love the episode. I'm only gonna listen to it once. Like, that, the moment I got home, I took it off my iPod. I just can't do it. So I kind of understand the whole robot revolution thing, like, with iRobot and stuff like that. That was Um, an exception. That was actually an okay movie. But it was because the robot was good. But when they're bad, I can't. Like, I can't even watch it. Like, and even then, just, like, watching Android, there's a commercial running right now for the Olympics about, like, the progressions of, like, medical technology. But it's, like, it starts off with, like, a robotic voice going, what does a computer do? And it has an Android look up. And I was just like, oh, hell no. I'm getting out of this room. 
A computer can't do anything. I will throw it out the door if it tries to attack me. So, like, does GLaDOS from Portal creep you out? Yeah, there's a reason why we kill that bitch at the end every time. But <laughs> GLaDOS is in a different way. It's it's more androids and, like, when they try to become human. Got it. Yeah, like, robots, if I just see, you know, like, a little robot, like, going by, like, it's when they become sentient and try to, like, take over humans and think human thoughts and, like, take over... That's the problem I have. Yeah, if it's like, you know, my a bunch of my buddies like build robots in high school and they would like attack like, you know, battle robots. Like I have no problem with that. No one's just reminded from that RP that we did where Jarvis and Herbie were together. <laughs> that's that's adorable. That's different. <laughs> it's different when it's a ship. And they weren't trying to take over, they were just trying to Yeah, though I think I would have problems if there is like one got corrupt and it was trying to you know, I have I I don't have problems with Jarvis and her and Herbie. Here you guys go take a drink. Drinking game. <laughs> I don't have a problem with Jarvis and Herbie because, you know, they're clearly bots. I have a problem with Ultron. <laughs> oh, yes. Ultron very scary and Oh my god, that just reminds me that 2015 is Age of Ultron, and... I didn't realize the Guardians of the Galaxy is out in August. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that soon. No one just imagining you being so super frightened during Age of Ultron. I'm, I'll be okay with that, because I it's it's one of those things, like, I know it's fictional, and, like, Ultron, like, I'm so used to seeing it as a cartoon, and, and, and like, watching, like, Avengers Assemble and stuff like that. The problem is when they're sentient and they start start thinking for themselves. Ultron, I, I clearly just know it's a comic and I, I know that. Thank God that it's fictional and not Yeah, like, I don't want reality. to be alive when the robot revolution happens. I will probably, like, bundle myself up somewhere and throw out every electronic device I <laughs> as I stare at my iPod here right now. <laughs> like, I actually did a side glance at my iPod like it was about to stand up. But, like, that's why I can't listen to A Beautiful Dream. Because, like, it almost made me get into a car accident. I can't listen to it. I can't listen to robots. I cannot do it. So, it was a good episode. I'm only listening to it once. Please don't ever bring it back. (laughs) It's a creepy episode, so I won't blame you. (laughs) And so, what was your last honorable mention? Because this almost made my list, too. I really did like the auction, mostly because it made me so curious as to what was going on. I'm like, okay, yeah, keep talking about the random stuff about Night Vale. What's with Lot 37? I liked it. I was more curious about it than anything. And this is actually like, a good lead-in that you're talking about this one, because that's our first theory, so. I was constantly wondering, like, he would talk about other stuff going on in Night Vale, but he was also very curious about what was going on, and you could hear a bit of concern about that. I was so curious as to what was Lot 37, because it said Cecil Palmer, but, like, what did that mean? And then he went down to buy it, and someone else got it, and you could hear how defeated Cecil sounded. I actually made a comment on this when I was wrote about this. I basically wrote that at the end when he's talking about finding himself or who owns him or someone to comfort him he sounds a bit down or disappointed or like he's given up because he's basically lost the property to himself like someone else owns him now so is do you take those lots as each person that actually is like their essence I think it's just, like, the ability to make decisions for themselves and, I don't know, like, like to be their own 
person without having to worry about someone else like okay you have to make you have to do this now and I'm going to make all the decisions for you kind of going into our first theory because that now we're getting to that one and the auction was yeah. your first one you were saying like you think most likely Strixcorp bought it and now you're talking about like them losing their essence and like losing their control and stuff like that they every single one of them had their names on it and Strixcorp bought all of them it'd be like stealing all of their essences away huh that would be interesting because this was the sheriff's secret police's auction correct right does yeah. Sh- uh, Strixcorp now own the secret police I don't think so, but I mean, what do we know about the secret police? <laughs> not really a lot, other than they're, they're not always good at their jobs. <laughs> and from what I've learned from media is that there are some dirty cops. They could be bought off, or there could be like a power thing, and Strex Corp gains control over it, or I don't know. Or they could have just has easily taken part of the auction. I mean, it's not like they have to be, like, in charge of the secret police in order to take part in the auction. Hold on, I I swear I feel like they own the secret police. I feel like I just read that. But, like, the thing is, is what I'm worried about is if Strex Corp did buy Cecile, what are they going to do with him? Oh, it was a woman from Italy, which means it happened after auction. Never mind. Okay, continue. What's going to happen to him? Is he going to be controlled? Are they going to sell him off somewhere else? Are they going to get rid of him? Like, the thing is, is Cecile doesn't know who bought him because his eyes teared up. Because he was pretty much going to lose control over who he was or is. Man, you thought way more into this episode than I ever did. <laughs> I need to go back and re-listen to this episode because I was just like, oh, he lost his mind. Probably some item. Because I, I didn't take it as, like, their actual essence and bought the lot. I took it as, like, where is it? Cause, was cassettes before or after? I was thinking more, like, bodily rights and stuff like that. I was thinking along the lines of cassettes, you know, like, he has this chunk missing in his memory that it would be another part to connect it to auction and so whatever was in there had to do with that time period that he couldn't remember and that's why he wanted to go see what it was so that's how i took auction but you took a much deeper route and i really appreciate it well i mean i saw someone else's comment on it and i got to thinking about it and i went i remembered what he was talking about and he said that he had to go find himself and i'm like what does he mean find himself like, who now owns him bodily, or, like, who he is now, because someone else bought him? Like, we don't even really know what Lot 37 is, except that it was Cecile Gershwin Palmer. That's all we know, and that someone else bought it. Part of me is hoping that Carlos bought it, you know, to save Cecile, but that's just a hopeful thing. I never, I really seriously have never thought about this. I feel so bad I have, like, no rebuttal, because I, I've yet to think of it that way, so I'm just kind of processing right now. <laughs> you stop me, good job. Sorry, I think about this mostly because partially because of Tumblr, partially because of psychology and the philosophy that's deeply rooted in there. I took a couple of philosophy classes because of high school and college. <laughs> kind of going to the next series that you have in the notes. Are we ever going to find out more about Cecil's past? We know things from cassette. So that's what I was taking auction as. I thought that it was something from Cecil's past. And like, what exactly did happen at the end of the tape? Like, we have no idea if what attacked him. We really, I, I feel the same. Like, what do you think actually attacked him at the end of cassette? I don't know, because I'm just trying to imagine it, and it sounded kind of horrible. See, I don't recall, I don't really recall Cecil screaming, like, in terror. I just remember him talking about it, and then it just got loud. 
Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, like the loudness. I'm like, what's going on? Just thinking back, his downfall or something bad would happen to him with a mirror. I'm just generally worried about it. We mentioned this earlier, but how many times has he been re-educated? How much about Cecil does Cecil even know? You know, that'd be a very interesting development that Shucks Corpse could start really enforcing re-education to start trying to brainwash people. And Cecil starting to break away is like, you know, I, I've already been re-educated. I don't need to do it again. They're like, oh, no, you have to. And he starts trying to, that's his big thing. He's like, I don't want to lose who I am. Because if I get re-educated, I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to lose Carlos. And I'm going to lose most of all me. And I like me. Like, that would be a really nice turn if they went that direction. If Strepcorp does do that, like, if that's a possibility, they could try to turn the seal into another Kevin. I don't think they're going to do that because that's, but I have a different theory for that, but that is a possibility. I hear you, but I disagree with that theory. No, I know what you're, I know why you think that you disagree with that theory. I think yeah. I know. But, but I mean, that, that is a, that is a possible theory is that like maybe to go, to go off what I think, I think they're going to try and replace him with Kevin. Yeah. But I mean, it could be something that like maybe something has happened to Kevin, so they're trying to make a new Kevin. So that I mean, it could be a possibility. Wouldn't it be weird to hear them like them doing that and Cecil's talking, and then Kevin's voice starts coming out of Cecil's mouth? Hmm, that would be weird. It'd be so scary if I heard Kevin suddenly come out of Cecil's mouth, or like you know, in the Woman of Italy in Italy, where Cecil just breaks in and it's like that yeah. rhyming voice. If Cecil's just talking and Kevin just starts breaking into the airwaves. And then it goes back to Cecil just still talking. I would just be really terrified. <laughs> the thing is, is also, Cecile had an older brother. Yeah, I want to know what happened to this family. Or if they were ever real. I know, because he definitely remembers his mother. Yeah, he has mentioned his mother before Cassette. And that she hid a lot. But uh, the Cassette was the first time we've heard of his brother. So I want to know... Well, first of all, I just want to know what happened to his family. Maybe it's like a like a puberty thing. Like, you get taken by this weird noise and you're well, a man. Well, I don't know, because, like, he just had recently gotten his job with the radio. I'm wondering what happened to the last broadcaster. Like, did he die? Or did he just retire? I did have two theories about that. One of them is what I'm giggling about, because, like, when I was joking around, like, maybe that's what puberty is, I just remembered that was actually what I thought was going to happen. I remember, I remember listening to cassette and like when that happened and after that noise came and got little Cecil, I half expected Cecil's, like older Cecil's voice to come back and be like, whoa, that was so weird. Oh my God, I'm a man. And I, like, I seriously thought that that, that was going to happen and Cecil was going to go through puberty right there. <laughs> But the thing is, is that we have nothing else to go on with the cassettes, especially since the seal destroyed them all at the end. My other theory is, I think when you take over someone's job, like after he was the intern, I think to become that person's job, I think you have to kind of Highlander them and like kill them or just take over. I think that's why they like the interns are always being killed off because part of the reason I think is none of them have been worthy enough. And so it's like the Hunger Games for a radio show. More like Highlander, but yeah. <laughs> Because there could only be one, and to get that position and to take that power away from them, you have to, like, kill them and then take their power. I'm looking at the synopsis, and his younger self is mentioning the strange flickering movement at the corner of his eyes that first appears only when he's recording. Yeah, see, that's why I thought it was Kevin, because it was only when he, he was recording. 
and then begins to follow him even when not recording. So even when he's not recording when he's younger, it starts following him. Oh, and apparently at the end of the episode, the flickering movement supposedly catches young Cecil, leading to some odd strangled noises. I am now super concerned about this. I, I just don't know what to make of it. It's one of those that we have so little to go on. Like we can theorize all day what it actually is. Like we've already said that it could be the faceless old woman. But we don't actually know until they give us the answer. And it's one of those things we might... I kind of feel like... Take a drink, people. I kind of feel like this is uh, like once upon a time where they're not going to ever give us all the answers. Because for one, that would take away, I think, parts of the world. Or they could be like, all the answers you've been wanting to know from Nightville is in our book that just came out. Come buy it if you really want to know what happens. And I'd just be like, son of a bitch, I'm driving to the bookstore. <laughs> also, for theories, I really want to know about Carlos's past. We don't know anything about him, as we mentioned. Oh, we already, yeah, we talked about that already. Yeah. So, I want to know more about this lighthouse on the mountain. I'm, I'm still trying, that's another one I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Um, we know it's on the other plane with Dana and John Peterson. And it's it's weird because it's an actual mountain. And in Nightvale, mountains don't exist. Right. You know, they don't they don't believe in mountains. Even Carlos in that the blinking light at the top of the mountain, he just said, oh, it's a mirage. You know, mountains just don't exist in this world, or in, in apparently Nightvale. The first time that Cecil saw them, aside from the the blinking mount, blinking light on top of the mountain episode, was condos, and that was in the special condo. I can't remember. He did he see mountains when he traveled to Europe? I don't know. I don't think so. And I wasn't a big fan of the Europe episode, so I didn't really process it much. He didn't mention mountains that I don't think I don't remember. I'm trying to still quite figure out what it is, because for one, we know it's in the other plane, and we know Dana is there, and we know John Pearson is there. I'm trying to figure out if they're just trying to make this, like, long-form motif or theme, or just, like, kind of like a, just a through line, and it's just going to be a subplot, and, you know, it's it's just like a motif for life and how you have to constantly keep climbing this mountain, and I still argue that they're in the afterlife. Like, that's my theory. I think John Pearson's dead, and somehow Dana accidentally fell into, like, the afterlife. Kind of like in Greek myths, where you could still climb your way back, and that's what I think the mountain is. I think Dana is slowly crawling her way back, kind of like a hero's tale. So you're talking more about like a Dante's Inferno sort of allegory. Yeah, or like going to like Hades and on the the, in the Greek myths, and they always had to like climb out of it. Like I I'm taking I think the motif is or the mountains are a motif. I think there's a thing like they're just making an analogy. I don't think it's gonna be anything until fucking walk. The newest episode, Dana was like, I, that's what I was thinking the entire time. It was just this motif. And then Dana says, no, something is actually coming for Night Vale. Oh my goodness. And I was just like, damn it. And I still do kind of think it's a, the same motif. I really do think so. But I think what Dana is saying is she's seeing the outskirts of our world. And it's not coming from the mountain. And I don't think it's coming from the lighthouse. I think she's seeing parts into our world because she can clearly be near Cecil. She's clearly in Cecil's studio, but she can see that Cecil can't hear or see her. Like John Peterson was like viewing the picture of the window. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the, everything is Dana's window. Like she's to this point where she's always around us. <gasps> what if Dana can transcend time and space because she doesn't actually know how long she's been there? And what if she's a thing in cassette that Cecil keeps seeing and it's her running around trying to warn him? Well, I don't know. It's possible. The thing is, is she even mentions that she doesn't know how long she's been there. She says like it's maybe days or years. But also, there's no such thing as time in Night Vale. What if it's one of those things she's also traveling backwards and forwards in time? Possible. 
And that's what Cecil's saying in cassettes, and it's her trying to warn him, and, like, I can see Dana just be, like, fed up and just, like, try and smack Cecil, be like, listen to me! <laughs> and that's the strangling! <laughs> yes! That's my theory, I'm sticking to it, I figured out cassettes, guys. <laughs> I don't know. What is your take on the lighthouse and that? And she's like, that's what I think. I do just, I think it's the afterlife in Nightville. I don't know. I just, I didn't really think that deeply about it. And again, I haven't really listened to Walk. That's okay. I didn't think that deeply on auction. So we both have one. <laughs> because I'm just reading the transcript right here. I really rely on transcripts. I apologize. I didn't give you enough time to listen to Walk beforehand. Transcripts are good enough. She mentions that the thing that she sees is a vast creature yeah it's she described it as like i need to go back and listen a lot because i honestly listened to it like really fast on i didn't have i listened to it this morning driving home and like i said i usually listen to it the first half and the second half i listened to it on two speed <laughs> so i listened to the entire episode in like 13 uh. minutes so I, I know i missed a lot of the details but i mean i need to go back and really listen to it so i don't even know what i'm trying to say but no, i know i i don't i want to know what your personal theory of the lighthouse and the mountain is God, I don't know. I think that it might be like, mm, God, I don't know. <laughs> That's okay. Because I didn't, like I said, I didn't think that deeply on auctions. So it could be like something else from like another plane of existence trying to slip in between like the cracks. Or that it could be some major plot point that still hasn't had a big connection yet. Like maybe it's a warning sign. That's true because isn't the light red? Right, yeah. And, and red's usually a warning sign? Right. Oh, it could be. That's a good one. I just pulled that out of the air. And and lighthouses actually are known to be a warning to sailors and to to that, warn hey, them. there's land right here. Yeah, I mean it's it's a warning to tell them that hey, there's danger this way. And so maybe that's what it is because I mean pretty much every major character minus John John Peters has seen the light pop. But I, I think like the biggest major characters have been reoccurring the most, which is Carlos, Carlos, Cecil, and Dana. They're the three people who have seen it. Did you ever notice that like main characters come in three and it's usually two guys and a girl? Yeah, I mean we got Harry Potter, we have uh, Doctor Who, <laughs> Hunger Games, sort of. Depends on which book, but you have Finokita and Katniss. But yeah, I mean, like me, I think that Dana's gonna come back and give them their warning and help stop the end of all this. Yeah. So, but we'll just have to see. We'll have to wait on that one. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts? And we've been really kind of touching a lot on it throughout the entire course of this. What are your thoughts on Strex Corp? We mentioned this before, but I seriously think that they're the big bad, at least for this part. So when you say for this part, you think it's going to go on more, like they're not the end game, like there's going to be other big bads after them? I don't know. It's a possibility. <laughs> Nightville season two. <laughs> I seriously think that they're mostly interested in taking over Nightville and making it like Desert Bluff. They definitely have some malicious motive from what I can guess because they, and they're more interested in money than people's lives because corporation. <laughs> They have something lined up 
for possibly Carlos because they're upset about the fact that he ruined the orange grove thing. And they just seem like they want to take over everything. So that's my ideas about Strex Corp. <laughs> You're saying that uh, they're the big bad for now? Being going like, okay, so if they go on further, because I'm calling Night Bell to cap about, they're probably going to get uh, start slowing or wrapping about episode 100. And the only reason I'm calling that, because that's about a four-year run, I think to actually wrap up all the stories they're laying down right now, that would give them a good amount of time to wrap it up, four years. Strex Corp is something they could stretch over several episodes, and same thing, like they could wrap up the man with the tan jacket they can wrap up all of them i'm calling it then but when you said the big bad for now i was like "Ooh, it'd be the big bad after them that's scary <laughs> maybe it's that vast creature that dana mentioned maybe like shrek's corpse are already scary i don't i don't know i do i agree i do totally think that shrek's corpse is the big bad i saw someone saying that shrek's corpse might be in charge of the mountains because like we were mentioning earlier we don't know how this world works like you know when they talk about the world government is that like nato or united nations for us and that's just the vague yet menacing government yeah, like, what is that? Like, or is it that Strix Corp is the government and they're just taking over one town at a time? And Or maybe Nightville is the last stand. Like, that could be a possibility. I, I kind of was already assuming that something was going to probably happen to Carlos. We're going to see him get hurt. I don't want Carlos to get killed because I'll cry. And especially that'd be really sucky for the new voice actor going, Hey, welcome to the team. You're dead. <laughs> So we know that Carlos isn't going anywhere, but I have a feeling that he's going to be getting hurt, like seriously hurt. And Cecil, I want to see Cecil not only go on pirate radio and pretty much be broadcasting like he did and missing and just telling the truth and like posting out the truth and like spreading this revolution and helping out with it. I think we're also going to be seeing a change in Cecil to not be this way anymore, like to take a stand. Like, because right now Cecil is still so wibbly wobbly. And I see, I mean wibbly wobbly as in like we know what he believes. Like we know he doesn't like Shrek's Corp. But he's right. still, because, but it's his job. And he loves his job. He loves being a radio host. So he wants, to, he doesn't want to leave that. But well, I, I mean, it's what he's wanted since like at least 15. It's everything he's ever wanted. So I would love to see Cecil have to make the incredibly hard choice. And them actually psych us out. Like maybe like at like episode 50, Cecil quote unquote signs off from Welcome to Night Vale, and then, so it makes us all think like it's the last episode, and then the very next episode, it's Pirate Radio Cecil. That would be interesting. But the way I want it to be done is, you know, being a pirate radio station, it would be a weak, weaker signal opposed to a main one. And you, it's only on special airs, so I want the next episode after that to be Kevin and Cecil's place in Night Vale. And then Cecil's trying to broadcast at the exact same time, and their broadcasts are overlapping each other. <laughs> That's what I want. So you have Kevin trying to brainwash Nightville while you have like Cecil and Carlos and like Carlos is like trying to pump the sound, pump the radio waves with science, trying to make it better than that and starting on that path. So it's like, welcome to Night Bluffs or something. That would be weird. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I really hope it goes to. Like they psych us out and Cecil goes in that direction because I think that'd be a really good direction for Cecil so he uh, so he doesn't become snagged and, and we see this town fighting back and I, I remember that part in Harry Potter and this is gonna sound so nerdy where Ron, Harry, and Hermione were camping for God knows how long in that book and, um, and as they're camping 
they're listening to the radio and they're they're listening to like the underground like good guys because you know like the death eaters are in charge and voldemort's in charge of the main radio so they're listening to the underground stuff and they're hearing their friends and they're hearing like grandis lupin like giving reports and they hear like dean thomas and i kind of want that so i would love to hear you know cecil going and don't worry we have old man jo- uh old lady josie here she's with her angel she's gonna talk for a few minutes and it's old lady josie and then we can also bring in more characters so didn't the angels disappear i see i we haven't mentioned i don't remember the angels disappearing but at the same time i don't remember not hearing that they didn't disappear i just haven't heard them brought up lately i think they disappeared okay i don't remember so i'm gonna have to believe you on that one okay so we just commented on that but i mean if they did disappear i mean that could be a thing like maybe maybe the angels could come back so like i would really love to see this direction with this radio show and i think i think it'd be really awesome Mm mm-hmm and that kind of goes into Tamika Flynn, because, like, now we have Strexcorp being the big bad. How are they going to defeat Strexcorp? Maybe with their tiny child militia. I love... Dude, their tiny child militia brought down a freaking helicopter. That is true. <laughs> See, and that's why I wasn't sure about that underground little city under the bowling alley. Like, man, I'm waiting for Tamika to, like, maybe make amends. Be like, you know, I'm a tiny child and you're tiny people. We're tinier than the adults. Let's go get them. Like, I'm waiting for an alliance with them. That would be awesome. Tamika actually said the best thing because Strex Corp's motto is look around you, Strex, look inside you, Strex, go to sleep, Strex, believe in a smiling god, Strex Corp, it is everything. And I love Tamika's response was, we do not look around, we do not look inside, we do not sleep, our god is not a smiling god, and we are ready for this war. Like, I was just like, you are like, what, like 12? That was the most badass answer. (laughs) I was like, holy damn. (laughs) Well, come on, we were introduced to her by her kicking, like, librarian ass. That is true. She did murder some librarians. <laughs> but, like, you know, I, I do think that Cecil and all of them are going to be joining Tamika Flanagan. And we know that Cecil supports her. Like, uh, I don't know. It's going to... I don't know how they're going to be able to take out Shex Corp. I actually kind of think this whole, like, that monk, that creature that Dana saw in Walk is actually the answer. And it's not a bad thing. But we're being played that it's a scary bad thing. Mm-hmm. That it's coming. I think it's actually going to be a helpful thing. Right. Either that or Strexcorp personified and it's actually their smiling god and it's a ginormous monster that's a mountain. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I think to mention, uh, I don't know how the mayor, may say I told you guys I wouldn't be able to say this word, mayoral race is going to play out with Strexcorp. They could be like trying to put forward their own candidate as they start to infiltrate even more. That's a really good idea. I didn't even think about that. Maybe Kevin would be there. <laughs> What if what if it's Marcus? Because he joined the race in auction, was it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and like we already know from Lauren Sharp that money is really, really important to them. Right, or what if it Carlos is double? If he has a double. Ooh, I see. I would love to see a Carlos double come in. Because I can see Carlos be like, I wasn't even born in this damn town. What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, guys, I swore it was only for people from Night Vale. Oh no. Don't stab me. <laughs> was I here too long? That's when you know that you're here too long, when your double shows up. <laughs> Can you imagine like two Hiram McDaniels with like 10 heads? <laughs> two dragons, 10 heads, all out battle. That would have been awesome to watch. I want that. And now with Seems like Hiram McDaniels is fighting Hiram McDaniels up in the sky above Nightvale. 
Can you tell who my candidate is, who I'm voting for? <laughs> I really like Hiram. I'm sorry. I really like that character. Really enjoy. He seems pretty cool. He is really cool. Also happy to hear him for the first time too. Cause he, this the Southern country verse was a za- voice was exactly how I heard it in my head. But yeah, like I'm 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 wondering how this mayor mayoral race is going to be playing out. Because for one, I, I like your theory of them sticking in a candidate. I kind of like the idea of it being Marcus. But at the same time, depending on which candidate wins, who is going and 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 actually to go back to Marcus for a second, he came really late because we've known that the faceless old woman and Hiram have been running for at least several months worth a podcast for at least good what six months at least at least like Hiram I think has been about a year yeah like this is something they've been building and then Strixworth comes in and suddenly Marcus is there and he is definitely money like I think they're paying him off to step in Mm-hmm. And they could probably buy votes or muscle people into voting for Marcus. Yeah, they don't even need like you know if they can re- if they can replace John Peterson, you know the farmer. They can. Why, what's stopping them from bringing out other doubles to vote for Marcus? The ones that weren't killed, anyway. There's nothing stopping them unless if we're going that Kevin is in fact Cecil's double, which we both agree with that he is. I mean, if Desert Bluffs is a town full of doubles, all they have to do is start replacing people. Like, maybe they had something to do with John Peters disappearing, and that's why they replaced him, and maybe they just started replacing people, and so if you didn't actually kill your double, because I know Kevin was telling them to love your double, and at the end, Cecil finally went, you know, we have to accept that there are doubles. Mm-hmm. There could still be plenty of other doubles to swing the vote. That's very true. I mean, we actually don't know how many of them were killed. If any at all, we only know Dana killed hers. And Kevin got a hug from his. So I just love that part where Kevin's like, I hugged my devil. And Cecil's like, I strangled my devil. <laughs> I can just imagine like Cecil like strangling Kevin. He's just like, I'm so happy. <laughs> what would you do if you saw your double? I don't know. Honestly, I'd just be like, want to go play video games? Yeah, sure. Whenever I play video games with other people, because I love playing video games, but I don't play a lot. Like, I have to be in the mood to play video games, unless it's something like Pokemon that I can carry with me. I am constantly busy and working and traveling, and that I have, it's really hard for me just to sit down and play a game. So, like, when I go to play games with all my friends, like Super Smash Brothers and stuff, they're always so much better than me, so it's not fun. So I want to play with my double, because it'd be an equal skill (laughs) set. That's what I would want to do. Or I'd just be like, you know, you want to go watch TV or, like, fangirl over stuff? Let's go. Or let's record a podcast with each other. What would you do with your double? I really don't know what I'd do with my double. I think I grew up too much, like, reading mythology and stuff, like, with doppelgangers. And the thing about a doppelganger is in some mythology, if you see your doppelganger, you die. So I don't think I'd ever want to meet my doppelganger. And if I did, I'd probably do the Night Vale version. You know what you should do? You should convince it to do your homework. I'd probably do that. Like, hey, go do my observations for me. I would. Just be like, hey, man, you know, so good to hear you're going to fall behind. Bye. Hey, I don't really feel like going to my classes today. Could you go do that thing? (laughs) But when the sandstorm passes, then you'll be fucked when it comes time for the test. I know. Any other last theories about Night Vale? Um, not that I can think of. We really talked the hell out of this episode. We did. I do have something else about Night Vale, of why I actually recorded this entire episode. (laughs) The reason why I did this episode was because I'm going to go to the Atlanta show on the East Coast tour. Ah, lucky. I know, oh god, it was, I was scared about getting tickets, man. 
I, as soon as it hit 12, I refreshed, I had my ticket by 12.03, and then I realized I forgot to buy a second one, because I meant to buy two in case one of my friends couldn't get one. Mm-hmm. I went to hit refresh at 12.03, and the website was crashed. Ugh. And I could not get back on, and now they're all sold out. Like, I, that website crashed in, like, five minutes. It was crazy. Wow. I mean, I and then people were saying they were sold out within a day. Like, it was so hard to get tickets. That's how uh, popular Night Vale is. Yeah, that's how popular it is. In Atlanta, but, it, the website crashed in three minutes. But we have a really big hub here, because I know pretty much every one of my Atlanta friends listens to Night Vale, with the exceptions of, like, a couple. And I can, so that's off the top of my head, about 15 to 20 of my friends. See, this is the good thing about living closer to a big city. Me, the closest city is about three or four hours away, and most of their shows are on a weekday when I have college. I still and, say skip that class, but you already turned down that, that option. Right. The only one that was within the state that I live in was Las Vegas, and that let's just say that it'd be easier to travel to California. Than to Las Vegas? Oh, I'm sure, yeah. There's a lot of people in Las Vegas all the time. No, I just mean, like, traveling distance. Oh, uh, okay. California okay. is closer than Las Vegas. I'll tell you what, I'll see what swag they have. I'll send you some swag. Okay. But yeah, March 7th, Atlanta show, I'm going to be there. I'm very excited for it. I After listening to condos, I was even more excited about going. If you're in Atlanta area and you happen to be there, I mean, I will see you there. But I, uh, where can people find you, Angel? Hey, you guys, just so you know, shortly after we recorded this episode, Angel t- changed the URL for her Tumblr. So right now it's at whatabunchofmarvelousaholes.tumblr.com because we take a drink off the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. So we, she changed her name. Um, and that's going to be in the show notes, so make sure you check that out. Thanks, guys, and enjoy the rest. You can find me on my Tumblr, or you can find me on Twitter at, I think it's that sassy archangel. Yep, that's exactly what it is. And I'll have all that in the show notes. As I announced in my last year like episode, I'm building a website right now. It's going really well. I just saw my first art for it, so I'm as soon as the artist gets it finished, I can finish, uh, and I know the color scheme, I can just put it all up there, and I'm already writing blogs for it, so... Keep a lookout for my website. I'll announce it when I get it. You can also find me at Twitter at Hope Mullinax. H-O-P-E-M-U-L-L-I-N-A-X. You can also find me on Tumblr at geekygirlexperience.tumblr.com. And I have a Once Upon a Time blog. Drink to that. Onceuponanobsession.tumblr.com. And I'll have all that in the show notes as well. Um, I don't have anything. Do you, Angel? No, I don't have anything. Probably my next episode from you, unless Avengers Assemble somehow finishes in March, but I don't even know when the next freaking episode <laughs> is coming out. We'll be chatting called in April. In April for for Captain America too. Right. Though I just found out it comes out the weekend of two two one Beacon. Ah. Hoping they can do a Thursday show at eight PM and then I can go to two two one Beacon. But if I get that Friday and that Sunday off at two two one Beacon, I'll probably have to work that Thursday. Ah. So at some point that weekend, though, I might have to just leave the con and be like, peace, guys, I'm going to go stare at Sebastian Stan. So, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I can get some of my friends to go with me. Yeah, we'll be chatting in April. Pre- I can almost tell you guys now, that's going to be a long-ass podcast, so you better go ahead and buckle in for that one. It's probably going to be a multi-parter podcast. Because her celebrity crush is in there, and two of my celebrity crushes are in there, so... 
we're gonna be talking a long ass time about hot men we should do the shallow podcast where like, that's what we should do angel we'll make two outlines the one is like all the shallow stuff and the girl stuff and then our second episode will be actual legit stuff <laughs> well i don't have anything else um thank you guys for listening to hope of all trades i hope to see you at the night bell show if not i just want to say good night hope of all trades good night bye bye
I can't have another four-hour episode. Okay. Because I, I was just like, I'm going to do a relatively short episode about Night of the Angel. It's not going to take long at all. Four hours later. <laughs> Can you imagine Captain America 2? <laughs> this is going to be the longest. We're going to have to do like a three-part podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> We're going to have to do like a three-part podcast on that one. You're going to spend an entire hour probably drooling over Sebastian Stan. I will spend an entire hour talking about how beautiful he is. Seriously.